bringing you all of the local motocross racing from North Carolina, Virginia, and the surrounding states. The Imperative MX Podcast. Here's another episode. And we're back and ready to rip here on the Imperative MX Podcast, episode number 31. And man, we're glad to be back for another week and another episode. We are bringing you all of the local motocross action from North Carolina, Virginia, and the surrounding states. Thank you so much for joining us this week on yet another episode. I am your host, Zach Newberry, and we would like to thank everyone who has been enjoying these episodes already, and the great positive feedback from these from you guys, the listeners, has been absolutely phenomenal. If you still need to check out any of the past episodes, do yourselves a favor and check them out after this one which is now available anywhere and everywhere you get your podcast nowadays. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, Pandora, Listen Notes, Google Podcasts, and many more to choose from to listen to past episodes with awesome guests. It is fantastic to see the support from the local community and even outside the local community support in this awesome sport of motocross. And we, of course, are a part of this awesome sport. And I want to thank you guys, the listeners, for tuning in to this week's episode here on the Imperative MX Podcast. We have a lot to talk about when it comes to local racing, all the way to professional and everything in between. With that, there are a good amount of talking points to chat about within this episode. First, we will get into the local races that happened this past weekend and the upcoming races within the next couple of weekends. We will also have a call in from the deputy director of racing at the American Motorcyclist Association, the AMA, Mike Burkeen, about his background in the sport, working at Cobra, being the general manager down at the South of the Border Training Facility, how the deputy director of racing at AMA position came about for him, his music career, and much, much more with Mike coming up here soon. Then we will have a call in with a local legend of this Southeast motocross area, area, Taylor Futrell, about what he's been up to since hanging up the boots a couple of years back, local motocross racing here in the Southeast, his amateur career, his pro career, and much more coming from Taylor Futrell here shortly. So you guys don't want to miss out on both of the guests that we have coming up. And of course, to wrap up this episode, we will speak on the professional side with some press releases of riders on new teams and bikes heading into the 2024 season, the World Supercross Championship in Abu Dhabi this past weekend, and of course, much, much more here on this episode number 31 on the Imperative MX podcast. And make sure to check us out by searching Imperative MX on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Threads, and our TikTok channel if you have not already done so. And thank you guys so much for supporting us on all of our social media platforms as we continue to grow. Before we get into all of this on this episode, we have to say thank you to all of the sponsors on board here on the Imperative MX Podcast. West Virginia Motorsports, FXR, Silver Valley MX Park, Hydropower, Dirt Industries, Custom Graphics, Mika Metals, Total Control Racing Suspension, and PR Motorsports. We will get into each of these awesome companies behind us here in just a bit. And don't forget to check out ImperativeMX.com when you get a chance. Many new things are in the works right now, so be on the lookout for exciting things 
coming to the website here in the coming months. And make sure to support the ones that support the sport. Like these companies helping us out with this podcast to bring you these weekly episodes. And of course, helping me break down all of the talking points for tonight's podcast. The highly likable, knowledgeable, your District 29 2011 C-Class champion co-host Heavy D. What's going on, Heavy? What's happening, guys? What are you doing? How's how's uh, uh, how's the work week been? Oh man, so feeling crazy with the time change, I tell you. But you know what? We out here grinding. I ain't complaining. I'm still above water. Life is good. And you know what? Huh. I ain't gonna hold you. It is what it is. Hey, that's all it is. It is what it is, and we're both uh waking up and breathing every day, so it can't be much better than that, huh? So That's right. Yeah, that's right. But before we get into it, Heavy D, West Virginia Motorsports, if you are looking for your next ride, look no further than my friends over at West Virginia Motorsports. If you are around the surrounding area and looking for a new or pre-owned motorcycle, dirt bike, ATV, scooter, or anything motorized in that manner, stop by Princeton, West Virginia, or at their brand new location titled Virginia Motorsports in Withfield, Virginia. And of course, don't forget to order your parts for your current bike or that brand new ride through West Virginia Motorsports or Virginia Motorsports. And don't forget to get those oil and air filters on the way out and heavy D. Don't catch them on fire, bud. Yeah, don't do not do that. Don't do that. Well, you'll be talking about it every episode. Yes, sir. From here on, <laughs> from here on out, get the uh, salute emoji. It's going to be here all the time. Uh, first, That's right. First up, heavy D, you know. Local motocross racing races this past weekend, races this upcoming weekend, and races here in the near future to attend. And first one we got to get to, since we did miss last week, unfortunately, I came I came back from the Lake Sugar Tree 21st annual Halloween bash. And uh, man, it was a lot of fun. On We got there Friday night, and Saturday woke up, and it was nothing but Supercross all the way through the day. And I had the opportunity to talk to all of the overall winners on the night and was in my alien costume and uh man it was a lot of fun track track was good a lot of the um riders really really appreciated the track and what ryan and 402 built for them over the weekend and i tell you what man it was a it was a great weekend of racing and of course heavy d i had to race on sunday i had to get my my first my one and only gate drop of the year on sunday out there on the moto track so it was a uh, it was a great weekend down there at the Lake Sugar Tree Halloween Bash. Uh-huh. So did we happen to get any arm pump uh, in that uh, in that section out there on the outdoor track? Uh, yeah. So my first lap of practice, I got arm pump. It happened. Oh wow! Oh, so hold on, hold on, hold on. Obviously, you didn't have any hydro power, dude. I'm telling you, I even told Nicole, I said, I didn't bring my hydropower. This ain't going to be good. This ain't good. This ain't going to be good. But I tell you what, by the time the second motos came around, I think I got those first race jitters out of the uh, out of the way and uh, started to have some fun. And man, it was uh, it was fun. So um, got third overall in that 25 plus class. And uh, yeah, I rode the uh, 30 plus class, but couldn't get scored, which is OK. And uh, yeah, man, we just we just had a lot of fun. So uh, overall, it was a great weekend. We got the camp, and everybody had their Halloween costumes and outfits, and pumpkins and ghosts, and 
They had a live band on Friday night when we got there and got set set up where we were at. We were kind of at the very bottom of the hill there at the tree line as soon as you come up into the facility to the left. And, uh, man, it was a lot of fun. And I tell you what, that place was packed, Heavy D. That place was packed. Uh-huh. Shoot, I heard it was. I, what, what's that they say? Standing room only. <laughs> I, I'm you, it really was, man. We were we pretty much had the spot where there wasn't many people around us, so we we really actually en- enjoyed that part. And uh, my buddy Justin Kendrick came by, and he didn't race on the weekend, but we still had a lot of fun hanging out and uh, camping out and just hanging out for the weekend, man. That's what it's all about. That's what local racing's all about, right, Heavy D? Oh, dude, I'm telling you, it's like I heard it was a ton of people there. I heard it was like, I mean, not the. I'm not trying to out anybody's business, but I heard it was like over 800 entries or something like that. It was something ridiculous. It was a lot. It was definitely You're a lot. Right. I mean, I I talked to 36 different overall winners, and that's how many motos there were for the Saturday Think about night. that. That is literally, that's national. That's a national. Like, that's how many classes there are at nationals. That's insane. Yeah. It was uh, from about 545 until 915 or so. It was four laps or five laps, however many that they did. And I was talking to the next person and had the live timing up on my phone. And yeah, man, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And I think people really enjoyed that podium, those podium speeches that uh, the overall winners get to talk to and had some great racing all the way through and was able to catch some of that as well. After I got done with one interview, I had about two or three laps that I could watch for the next one before I interviewed them. And yeah, man, we had a we had a lot of fun. Took the trailer down there, me and Nicole and the dog, and man, put the mattress up in the trailer, and man, we slept pretty good, Heavy D. And you know what? We didn't need a heater this year. Last year it was freezing. This year, perfectly fine. We were able to keep one of the uh, the back door. We are actually able to keep that cracked so we can get a little breeze in because uh, it was just really nice outside. It was a great it was a great weekend, and I think everybody had a had a blast. Oh, dude, like, that's that's what's cool about racing. It's, like, it, it's, it's funny. Like, you go to, a, like, a local race or it, basically any of those races, you know, you kind of set up and camp. And it's, like, dude, for me, I get I sleep better at a race than I, like, do in my own bed. Right. At, at home. I don't know what it is about it. I don't know if it's, like, the relaxing atmosphere or just, like, you know, you're at the track and, like, you know, it's just – it's that getaway calmness, but I tell you, it's like it is the best when the temperature's right, everything's good. It's like you hear those generators out there. Yeah, I mean, it's they don't, I don't get know. much it's better than that. Nah, dude, it don't. It's like man, brings up good times, good times. That's right, that's right. Yeah, no, man, it was a, it was a lot of fun, and you're right. I mean, at hotels and even at the track, I sleep way better than I do at the house. That is for sure because it is a getaway. You don't really have to worry about too much other than waking up and going to sign up so <laughs> so right right that's pretty much it but um so that was two weekends ago uh heavy d but this past weekend you had the kathy creek kathy's creek outlaw series and you were there doing some announcing so how was that oh dude it was good man it was it was pretty cool because you know it was like a last minute ordeal like um it was supposed to be at another track but they ended up having to cancel for uh, some unfortunate reasons, you know, and um, we did it at Kathy's, and so, you know, we got it together in three days, like, I mean, yeah, it was three days, a little, a little under three days, like two and a half, I mean, yeah, 
started on a Thursday night, you know, and then, uh, you know, boss man, like, he was like, all right, like, we're here. <laughs> we ain't working. We ain't doing great and stuff Friday. So did a track because we grinding it out. So it was like uh, I was on the tractor spreading, you know, that great mixture stuff, sawdust, paper. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tano and uh, his uh, Uncle Shane was on the dozer skid steer. And uh, our other buddy, our other guy, Colton, was uh, running water. And uh, boss man was in the water truck watering and uh staying on top of sprinkler heads because we blowed i don't know how many sprinkler heads and uh a, a water main in the ground so from it freezing it was it was you know it's crazy because a lot of people don't see what goes into it so of course it was hectic it's gonna be considering it got cold you know and blowing water lines and, but at the end of the day you know we was it, it was cool because the support everybody showed coming out and Everybody loved it. It was the last race, and you know, it, it, it definitely mixed a lot of stuff up. But dude, those are the good times, man. I tell you, I wouldn't trade those for the world. Like stuff like that, you know, just to see the smile on everybody's faces, knowing like, hey, we ain't, you know, the point standards ain't gonna end like this. They're doing whatever they can to make sure we get our last race, and they're gonna make sure the track is awesome for good racing. So, I mean, I tell you, I love those times. That's awesome, Heavy D. Yeah, man, it sounded like uh, you had a blast and. Uh, we were talking throughout the weekend and it seemed like the attendance was good and uh, the vibes are right. And even if it is cold and all of that, everybody's out there riding dirt bikes for the same reason, just to have fun. And uh, that's awesome that you guys put on a good event down there at Kathy's Creek this past weekend. But we got some races coming up this weekend, Heavy D. We got four races that are going to be happening in and around the North Carolina and South Carolina area. And, of course, the first one is the Mama Series. Their season finale is this weekend at NCMP, North Carolina Motorsports Park, November 11th and 12th, obviously. And it's Saturday and Sunday racing. And it is the last chance uh, to race in, you know, at that North Carolina Motorsports Park for this year. And, of course, before Minios. And it's a great way to end uh, the NCMP and uh, around the North Carolina area racing this weekend down there at NCMP for the finale of the Mama Series. So make sure you guys go and check that out. Also, Heavy D, we got the South Carolina State Championship at South of the Border this weekend. It's a series finale and double points for the Mega Series and Ultra Series in both days point towards uh, the series standings for both of those series. So uh, and then Sunday, of course, will be double pro-am points. And uh, so, yeah, all of you riders that are trying to get that pro card for next year, it's double pro-am points at South of the Border this weekend. And you know that track is going to be super, super good. And, of course, they have the 7th Annual Vet Shootout and District 13. It's going to be actually a uh, District 13 race as well. So I believe that may be their uh their last race but it's at in, uh, ecmx uh elizabeth city this coming weekend as well so there's a lot of racing and then of course if you want to get some practice in and see a bunch of crazy stuff cgi facility their motos their moto fest for 2023 is this weekend in edgefield south carolina it's friday through sunday they have a bmx jam show best whip contest pit bike racing music fireworks and much more it's more of kind of like a weekend giveaway, uh, getaway, heavy D. 
with no racing but multiple riding options throughout the entire weekend. Trail loop and prep practice on all four tracks Saturday and prep tr uh, practice on the MX track on Sunday. So there's plenty of riding and, and racing options for everybody this weekend. It's a jam-packed uh, weekend of racing, huh, Heavy D? Oh, yeah. It's, man, there's so much going on. Which is, I mean, it's good, you know, it's, you know, the season's slowly coming to an end. Um, it's good, you know, to have those last uh, few niche races, especially with the cold hitting. Usually got some to do winter series, but, yep. you know, I think the uh, Mama Series of NCMX is going to be sweet. God, I know that's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah, you know and, the Krusty uh, Crew down there is going to have that track right. Oh, yeah, and then South of the Border. South of the Border is usually always good. Right? Oh, yeah. It, it, everybody loves going there, you know. That's one of those, I mean, you ain't going to go wrong in there. I know several of our uh, our locals will, will definitely be out there shredding the SLB. Yep. They, uh, definitely a lot of them looking forward to that. And CGI, dude, that place is awesome. CGI is like badass. Excuse my French. But, yeah. uh, it's uh, it's going to be sweet, especially whip contest, BMX stuff. I mean, it's it's definitely set up for that. They got the stuff to be able to throw some uh nasty whips and have some BMX bikes and fireworks. Uh, just a good overall moto fest, moto bash. Something just to have some fun, kick back at the end of the year. It's been a long year for a lot of racers, so I think it'll be sweet. Absolutely. And upcoming races to keep an eye out for uh, here in the near future. Of course, we got Minios coming up at the end of this month through that Thanksgiving week. And I'm sure that we'll have a bunch of indoor racing season because it is upon us here in the next couple of weeks. So we will keep you guys informed on that for sure. And Heavy D, speaking of local racing and everything that goes on within the local motocross scene. Let's go ahead and get the deputy director of racing from AMA, Mike Burkeen here on the line. Let's talk to the magic man. Their industry's custom graphics for over 10 years, they've designed, manufactured, and marketed the highest quality dirt bike graphics and decals to the motocross and consumer markets. Their high quality decals are considered by many to be the best in the industry. Professionals and weekend warriors alike utilize the awesome graphics and decals. The highly acclaimed design team is well-equipped to help their customers and you guys out there on the track get the look that you want in a short amount of time. The design team provides itself on creative collaboration. They offer superior graphic decals and top-notch designs at an affordable price for any budget. And you guys can use the code IMPERATIVEMX, all caps, no space, for 20% off your next purchase to save you money from the awesome people over there at Dirt Industries Custom Graphics, helmet wraps, banners, license plates, and much more. So make sure to go and check out Dirt Industries Custom Graphics for any graphic and decals that you guys need. And we would also like to thank Dirt Industries Custom Graphics for bringing our first guest of the night, the Deputy Director of Racing from AMA, Mike Burkeen. Thanks, Mike, for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Not a problem, not a problem. And and first, let's uh we got a lot to talk about, but for the people that don't know, uh tell us a little bit about your racing background, your your son, obviously Matt Burkeen, but you've done a lot you've done racing in, in your uh early times as well. So you want to speak on that a little bit? Sure. I I actually started back in the seventies. Um, and that makes me really old. Um, raced motocross through um high school. 
And uh, then went off to college, got a job, didn't ride dirt bikes till I was about maybe my early 30s and started racing again. And then Matt started racing, so something that we did together. Yep. And then when he was about 10, he started beating me, and I hung up the boots. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think I even remember uh, you actually lining up for a couple of races, and me and you uh, go back a long way. I mean, all the way back to Ike DeJager jumping over the uh, rope with me and Matt. So um, it's it's cool to see uh, that you are still in the sport and you're really heavily involved nowadays. And, and uh, before we get into what you're doing now, you were with Cobra uh, Motorcycles there for a while. So how did that come about? And speak about that experience. Sure. So Matt was racing Cobras, and I was spending a lot of time with those guys at uh, some of the bigger races. A new ownership group came in and bought Cobra, and I was their first employee that they hired, and I spent about five years there. Oh, wow. Um, and sales, marketing, and all the racing efforts. And it really worked out because it allowed me to take Matt to all the major races yeah. and not take vacation or spend money. And uh worked out for him as well because, you know, he was factory Cobra at the time. And so we had good bikes, and and that spoiled us. And uh, it made it so that the days to come – um, which weren't so spoiled right? Uh, until we got to the fairing days. But before that, um, you know, we went through a little rough patch where we struggled with resources, um, had some support from Donnie Luce at um, Factory Yamaha, and, um, you know, kind of bounced around a little bit from there. But, but that was the Cobra thing. It lasted about five years, and... You know, so I got to be a 50 dad for like seven years. Oh, I bet. You. Was that brutal or was that okay? Because we know how some 50 dads can be. You know, when I was going through it, it was challenging, um, especially when Matt was writing them because, you know, there was the, oh, Matt has better stuff than everyone else because his dad works for Cobra and all that. Right. But when I look back on it, it was honestly some of the most rewarding um, times that we had, we, we were fortunate enough to have uh, writers like Cooper Webb and Adam Cincerillo and Dalton Myers, uh, Blake Green, Connor Mitchell, you know, some that became household names, some that didn't. Yeah, right. But, you know, it was a lot of fun working with those guys when they're like seven and eight years old. Yeah, no, that's a great experience, of course. And another experience that you had, too, before we get to your AMA um, position, you you helped with uh, south of the border, you were their gym, general manager there down at the training facility. And I'm pretty much that you were there right at about the time that it became a training facility, if I'm not mistaken, correct? So talk to us about that experience and what you learned from that. Yeah, so Jimmy Weinert actually started it. And um, he was there for, I think, about a year. And Jimmy decided he wanted to do things his own way. So he bought his own place and I came in. And um, I was actually there for eight years. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, it's kind of a common theme. My career um, helped me help Matt along in his career because, you know, obviously we were both living down there and he was training and um, I was managing the place. And so, you know, again, I look back at those days and uh, I'm glad that I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> but yeah. I also would have given those up. Um, you know, and I, I still see a lot of the kids that we had. I mean, we had probably a thousand kids through there through that eight years. Oh, yeah. And, 
you know, that, and it's funny because the most rewarding weren't the, the Garrett Marchbanks's or the Seth Hammakers. The most rewarding were the sea riders that made Loretta's for the first time. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, so we've got, got a ton of those guys and um, kids we started with on mini bikes. And again, not to name drop, but, you know, we had Cooper Webb. We had Aaron Plessinger there for a while. Star was there for one summer, um, you know, and just... It's just been amazing the what some of those kids have been able to accomplish. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of just all of the experiences and where you've had your hands, you know, tied in with these handful that we've talked about already. Uh, so how did this deputy director of racing for AMA come about? And I know that you were an AMA referee back in the day at some of the local races down here in the Southeast. So walk, walk us through how it came to fruition for you. Okay, so, well, back in the day, I mean, we're talking way back in um, in the early 90s, I had an opportunity be, to become a referee at a race. Um, Chef Langdon, who we all knew and loved back in the day, yep. um, ran District 29. His grandson, Brandon, had a really bad crash. He had to leave and go to the hospital with him. And I said, Chef, don't worry, I'll, I'll take this for you. And that kind of blossomed into me refereeing quite a bit. Yep. And then um, Victory Sports asked me to work with them. So I was doing all of their races. And, you know, here we go. Here's that theme again. I would work the race and they would pay me and Matt would ride. And, um, you know, it kind of worked out for me. So that's kind of how I got started. From there, I became an AMA congressperson, which is basically the rulemaking body of amateur racing. And uh, did that for about 12 or 13 years. And there are two or three times when the AMA tried to get me to come on and take the job. And it was the timing wasn't right. And then four years ago, they said, hey, we need a motocross manager. And we won't make you move to Ohio. Yep. And I said, hey, well, now, you know, now it works. And so I started that and spent about a year and a half doing that. And then we restructured after COVID. And they said, um, we, we want you to run the entire amateur racing department. You can keep motocross, but at this point we need you to move to Columbus if you want the job. Wow. And talked to the family and they were all, you know, believe it or not, they're all on board leaving Raleigh to come up here. And, uh, my wife got transferred and we've been up here for three years now and, and the job couldn't have gone any better. I have great people that work for me and I have a fantastic boss. Uh, Mike Pelletier, who runs Supercross and uh, and works with the Outdoor Pro National Program, is who I report to, and he and I work. I mean, it's we're on the same page on virtually everything we do, which makes it super easy. Yep. So, been really good. We've uh, I like to think between the two of us, we have um, kind of reshaped the public opinion of VMA a little bit. Um, one of the things both of us really believe in is being out in front of the people. Right. And I was, I think it's the last time I looked, I'm going to be at 38 events this year. Oh, wow. So I kind of keep, and then if I have a weekend that I don't have an event to go to, I usually like go to one of Scott Plessinger's events here in Ohio or something. So for me, it's really, it's a great, it was a great career move, but it only works because it's a labor of love. I really love what I do. And I was, you know, that was exactly what I was going to say was that you have to, um, you have to be excited 
uh, and you have to have passion for the sport, I think, to be in in your position. And with everything, you know, since you've been in the in the seventies and all the way up, you've seen and you've done a lot of things in the sport. So I think Mike uh, had a great going at you know getting you on uh, top of this AMA. Uh, position there for the director of racing and especially the local races. You've been to so many from Cobra and you've seen the behind the scenes with South of the Border and and now you're, you know, uh, throwing it all together for all of the amateur racing. And I think that that's kind of what we need. I think we need a little bit of help uh, with the local side. But the Imperative MX podcast, episode number 31, speaking with the deputy director of racing uh, at AMA, Mike Burkeen, brought to you by Dirt Industries Custom Graphics. Heavy D? Oh, 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 it's magic, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, so I, I, I'm just, you know, curious. I, I know y'all lived in North Carolina for a while. What, what is, what is it like moving North Carolina to Ohio? You know, I was, I was kind of worried about it, but Columbus is a great city. It's um. It's the home of Ohio State, which can be a little annoying. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I I joke with the passion they have for Ohio State here in the Buckeyes is is unbelievable. Um, Really, it's very similar to living in North Carolina. The biggest difference, obviously, is the winters are a little bit harsher. But on the other side of that, the summers are great here. I mean, I could sit on on the patio every night all summer long and it's like 70 degrees where back in Raleigh, it would have been 90. So there's trade-offs, but, um, and I think as far as like, you know, sports, we have, um, we have a pro soccer team, a pro hockey team. And then in the state, we have two semi-pro football teams, the uh, Bengals and the Browns and one pro football team, the Buc- the Buckeyes. Oh, okay. So, now, I know here in North Carolina, like, the racing scene, it's, like, consistent. Like, God, you would have, I swear you were to race every weekend here in North Carolina when Matt, uh, you know, when Matt was in uh, amateur ranks. Um, is it like that as well in Ohio, too? Is, like, the racing scene about the same, or is it slightly different, you'd say? You know, it's very similar, and they have bigger races here. So they have races that have a lot more entries for the most part. Um, on average, but you know, the season's over. I think the last weekend was last weekend, um, and that was the last race of the season. And then in the wintertime, they have a couple indoor facilities where people ride and race. And then Arena Cross is kind of big up here, so um, you know, they have a lot of local Arena Cross series. Um, but overall, I would say it's very similar. I mean, the district up here is very similar, and than what they had there. Um, Scott Plessinger runs one of the series, and then they have another series on the other side of the state. But, I mean, Scott's races consistently draw 600-plus. Wow. Good gracious, a lot. Yeah, it's it's insane the numbers that they draw. And, you know, the tracks are similar in both places. Um you know, some of them are, are built on a flat piece of ground. Some of them have a lot of elevation. Uh, the dirt's pretty decent up here for the most part. So I would say track-wise, things are very similar. That's awesome. And 
now that you're managing all of the amateur motocross racing and actually speaking of numbers, it seems like kind of the numbers are, are down on the local district side, at least, you know, from what we see down here in the, in the Southeast, of course, there's a lot of training facilities and that sort of thing, uh, that we think that kind of keeps people away. But have you guys thought of ways to help bring back, uh, the life for the series and these tracks? Um, have you guys thought of anything to try and help those numbers out a little bit from y'all side on the AMA? So I think the big thing right now, um, when COVID came along, we were the only sport that was still running. Like we figured it out right. between us and MX sports. We figured out how to keep things going. And, um, that got a lot of people into the sport. A lot of people bought bikes. A lot of people started. One of the things that we look at as an organization is um, where is our growth going to come from? And our growth clearly going to come from mini bikes. Right. And our bike numbers are through the roof. Um, I think a big chunk of that is the Stasic revolution. You know, you get your two and three year olds on Stasics and they're ready for a PW when they're four or five. And um, the electric bike is going to be, you know, that's another complete topic of discussion. But you know, that's going to be helpful to have motorcycles that you can ride around in the backyard and not bother the neighbors. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, our numbers this year, um, our sanction and entry numbers are up slightly. Last year was a little bit of a down year. But again, we're talking down over phenomenal growth the year before. Right. Um, look at where we were five, six years ago we're ahead of where we were five, six years ago. Yeah. Now, if we look at where we were 15 years ago, we're not even close to that number. Right. Um, Do you think it will ever get to that point to where we would get back to those numbers that we did have 10 or 15 years ago? Or do you think it, you think just COVID numbers and that sort of thing is kind of going to kind of stay the same? I would hope that we're going to get, I don't know that we're ever going to get back to the heyday because you could buy, a brand new dirt bike back then for $2,500. Right. Um, you know, PW50 was $750 and now they're $2,000. Um, so I don't know that we'll ever get back to that. But with the with the coming e-bike revolution, you know, who's to say that that doesn't bring in a whole different group of people? You know, again, now you can ride in the common ground behind your house. Right. Um you can ride in the backyard and not bother people. Right. You know, you know, I think that's going to, going to bring a bunch of people in and, uh, we've got a long way to go. We're trying to get out ahead of the e-bike thing. Um, but with the start coming in and, um, KTM, all the Austrian brands have introduced two new mini bike e-models and down the road, they're going to be coming, uh, within the next two years with a 65 and an 85 size e-bike. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how all that affects what we're trying to do here. Right, for sure. And, you know, we do have, um, I'm just speaking on the southeast uh, side here that, you know, there is a lot of training facilities around and it seems like a lot of people kind of want to bubble wrap themselves and stay at the training facility, but they lose a lot on racecraft whenever they go to race because it's not just a practice facility or a training facility. And, and we see it, uh, me and Heavy D have seen it, you know, from guys that are around here that go to training facilities and then they go to these big amateur races and sometimes they just don't know really how to race because they've been kind of stuck at the facilities is there is there really anything that we can do to improve and 
bring those num bring those guys uh, to the local area, or do you think training facilities have kind of squashed it a little bit? Well, I I think the training facility effect on the racing numbers is a little bit overblown. Okay. Because if you look, at, you know, Millsaps has twenty or thirty people. Um, I don't even think Next Level has that many. But you know, say there's five of them, and they all have thirty people. It's only 150 people, you know, for the whole eastern half of the United States. At south of the border, we always push those guys to race a lot. Right. Um, we thought it was really important to get them out on the track. And then as far as racecraft, I mean, if you're running motos every day, you know, back in the day, we had Matt Burkeen, Cody McCullough, Kyler West, Cooper Webb. Um, who else? There's a couple more, two or three more, all of that caliber. And those guys are racing each other every single day. You know, I, I don't know that you can, that you could say that it made more sense to go to, you know, Devil's Ridge and race two guys that were any good, you know, or win by a lot or, um, you know, it, at the training facility, at least at south of the border, we made those guys compete with each other every day. Right. So when you get to the race, you look left and you look right, and you're like, "Why well, had March make some web on either side of me yesterday? This doesn't scare me at all." Right. And that was kind of the philosophy behind it. I got you. The Imperative MX Podcast, episode number thirty-one, speaking with AMA's Bike Burkeen, brought to you by Dirt Industries Custom Graphics. Heavy D. So. Does those numbers happen like on a weekly basis, like, or is he every so often when he races? Is that Scott? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they have numbers like that frequently. I mean, they'll be five or six times a summer. Um, we have another track up in Illinois, Lincoln Trail, and he's mm-hmm. at almost every race he has all summer long. It's oh, and how well they do. And that's there, there, there. That's district too, isn't it? Yeah, that's district seventeen up in uh, in um, Illinois. Oh wow, that's kind of weird though, because the other D seventeen tracks don't get the numbers as big as those guys do. Right. It's uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure what they're doing right, but they're doing something really right. And we probably need to dive into it and learn. Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering because. I was thinking, I was like, golly, I mean, which I've seen, but, you know, Scott Bless, uh, his track's phenomenal. I've heard a lot about it at, at you know, Lincoln Trail. But I was just wondering because it's like, uh, you know, down th- this way, it's like the di- district races aren't, I mean, they're good, but they don't pull those kind of numbers, you know. And, you know, I, I'll, I'm always curious to know, like, what can, you know, be done better to help out, and especially when you hear numbers like that. Yeah, I think, you know, being pretty intimately involved in District 29 when it was running, um, I think the races that we had where we combined with District 13 seemed right. to be well attended because you get 29 and 13 points. And I mean, I can remember when it was a big deal to be a district champion. Like, if you're a District 29 champion, that was, you know, an Austin Stroop or a Taylor Futrell and guys like that. And and it was a big deal. And they still have that, like in Michigan. If you're a Michigan district champion, that's a big deal there. 
um, we kind of lost our way in District 29. And, you know, we kind of started bouncing around and, and not really caring. And, you know, I love Mark and Jill to death, and they absolutely put their heart and soul into District 29. But I don't know that they got enough help from the other guys. And, you know, Shep did it for 20 years. Mark and Jill did it for every bit of 10 or 12 years. And, um, you know, at some point it just wears on you. And then after, you know, they stepped aside, Mike Farr has done a good job of trying to get the NCMX thing off the ground. And and you guys are getting what, like 300-ish for those races? Yeah, so, uh, it's, it's normally anywhere between 150 and 300 on a, on a good weekend, but that might only be about two or three races a year, huh, Heavy Days? Yeah. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's good, but it's just. It's not of what it course, used to I, be. I mean, it's just not yeah, what it it's, used it's, to be. I mean, five years ago, yeah. it was more, but now it's kind of dwindled down. And I yeah. do agree with you, Mike, on the whole District 13 and, and the NCMX series and even the Mama series. You know, they all kind of need to work together and and um, a little bit more. And I believe that that's what we're start that we hope to get to during the 2024 season is that they work together and combine some races so that we can have those 300, 400, 500 weekend um, events so that we do have more than just two or three riders on the gate. Cause that's kind of where we're at right now is, you know, I'd say on an average, you might get seven riders per, uh, per class um, on each of the gates. And I've been announcing at some of these, so it's just kind of, it's kind of hard to see it dwindle a little bit and, and uh, just wanted to see your opinion. And I think definitely with the District uh, 13 and the NCMX series coming together to combine more races throughout the year, I think that will help out as well. Yeah, I think that's the key is, I mean, because if you look at the boundaries of what District 29 was, the, the riders are pretty spread out in North Carolina. And then there's a lot of riders in the northern part of South Carolina but once you get a little bit south, those guys all go to Georgia yeah. and Florida. So you really lose out on those. So the key is attracting guys from Virginia. Right. And if you can get those guys all come down, um, you know, Elizabeth City's kind of, I think they've got another new president there. And as a club, you're only as good as the current administration. Right. So um, I don't know. I don't really know anything about the new folks that are there. But I've heard good stuff, so that's that's a positive. But if you look at the guys that have been um, consistent, you know, until they sold Birch Creek, Birch Creek, I mean, they would never be below 300. Right. You know, 300. Right, right. And Muddy Creek, it's never, you know, they, they draw, you know, <laughs> they're below 400. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think your kid's laughing at me, Heavy D. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she just popped out of nowhere. Now she's just looking at me laughing. She heard you talking and she started laughing. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I uh, know. That's all right. I get, it's funny because, I mean, I get, obviously I get phone calls all day long and, and, um, you know, some are more pleasurable than others and some are just downright 
I had a guy call last week and say that he was going to off the AMA from the universe. And if we didn't, and he wouldn't even tell me what he was mad about. He just said he was going to off us from the universe. And uh, he was going to take it all the way to the Supreme Court if he had to. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Golly. Okay. So, <laughs> he hung up on me. So I immediately called him back and said, hey, I think we have a bad connection. <laughs> we, I, I think I dropped the call. Did you have anything else? And then he, then he got all, all fired up and just said, see ya. So I'm like, I, it's, it's something else. I know. I mean. Long story short, we had a we had an incident at our, our local race this weekend, and um, the guy he he sent, he ended up sending like this super long message about what should be you know in, in future references and what he was going to do, and he was like, "Yeah, I think here on out I'm going to run AMA since like they they this stuff this kind of stuff doesn't happen," and we <laughs> we was just like, "Oh man, oh man." Okay. Yeah, I think the difference, I mean, clearly stuff happens at AMA and non-AMA, but the biggest thing is that um, if something happens at an AMA race, you guys have our staff behind you to sort exactly. it out. And, you know, it's I tell people all the time, let me be the bad guy, and I'm pretty good at, um, you know, making things happen that need to happen without getting people too mad. But you know, the key is for you not to make your customers mad. It's for me to make them mad. And you to say, hey, you know, it was the AMA. It wasn't my decision. Well, <laughs> it's, it's funny because, you know, you know, Reagan. Reagan's been with you guys forever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so he's like, he's like our guy for the outlaw. And like, he, of course, he don't mind being the bad guy. Well, he was the bad guy in this situation. And like, this guy was basically referring to like when he goes to race the Sam AMA races, it wouldn't happen. And we started laughing because I was like, you're going to be real upset when you see Reagan there again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thinking it ain't going to happen. I'm just like, all right. Like, I don't say anything. I'm just like, I'm on my business. But I'm just like, man, you know, okay. Like, we, we, we try to run by AMA rules because it's a, you know, tight knit set package. And it seems to work well, so we try to run by it as best as yeah. we can, you know, even though it's outlaw. But at the end of the day, I was like, when you see Reagan, you're just going to be so in awe. Like, why is this dude here? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's funny. Motocross is kind of crazy. And you asked me about the 50 parents, and it's really not 50 parents. It's new parents. Yeah. Right. Class yeah. parents of someone just started. It's kind of the same way. And in my new position as, well, it's not new now. I've been in it for a couple of years now. But um, I have responsibility for off-road and road racing and and uh, dirt track and everything. And it's so funny how completely different all those are. So motocross, people are super hyper-competitive. And they all, and the reason for that is because there is light. At the end of that tunnel, it's not a very bright light, but you can become Cooper Webb or you can become Eli Tomac. But in off-road, you know, you become the very best off-road guy and, you know, you make 100000 150000 Yeah. You know, there's no million-dollar off-road guys. So those guys tend to, um, when, when you go to an off-road, I went to the 
National Hare and Hound out in California a couple weeks ago and then the National Grand Prix. Those guys are way more laid back because they remember that they're there to have fun. And sometimes on the motocross thing, and, you know, don't get me wrong, those are my boys, but sometimes we forget why we started doing it. And we started doing it because it's fun. Right. Racing dirt bikes is fun. Yep. And if you if you get away from that and you know, that's when things start to go sideways. Just like Coop last year, he had to take some time off and just get to back to just riding and having fun and realizing why he enjoyed racing, right? So um I think a lot of the, even yeah. those top guys, you know, they have to do that every now and again, you know, whenever they can. Because uh, there's not really much of an off season, but those guys try to do the best that they can and try to have fun. Because yeah, once you take the fun out of out of the sport uh, and the reason why you did it, it, it goes all downhill from there, and it becomes very very tough. And um, you start putting pressure on uh, you know more on yourself, and it's just not not very fun. But what is it? What is it like for you going to some of these you know these amateur races and seeing the future stars and handing them number one place and just being at some of these top events and these local events, um, you know, talking to these kids and these adults, you know, before they uh, actually turn pro or uh, just seeing them grow up. I'm sure it's actually probably pretty cool. It's so much fun. I've been um, fortunate enough to be able to take a team to the um, World Junior Championship for the few year, last few years. Yep. And those are 65 riders, 85 riders, and 125 riders. Right. And um, you know, my 125 riders in Finland last year are uh, one of them is Casey Cochran. He's turning pro now. Yep. Um, it's going to super cross this fall. And watching these kids go from, you know, especially these these little 65 riders, you know, they're like 11, 10, 11 year old kids, and they're on this huge stage on an international stage. And then to see them two years later, and then two years after that, they're on 125s. I mean, it just, it warms your heart. You know, you feel like you had a small part in it, um, especially in the training facility days. Yeah. Um, you know, so that made it fun. But, you know, for me, I've been, been at this for long enough that I know enough people that being away so much isn't the end of the world because these guys are like a second family to me. And, right. you know, my boss jokes will be like, I didn't see you put any meals on your expense report last week. And I just laugh and I'm like, dude, I tried to buy dinner. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> you know, I so yeah. many people to hang out with and so many motorhomes and, you know, Hey, come on over and hang out with us. And, you know, it's just, it's like a second, it literally it's like a second family. Yeah, no, that's the best part about racing. And, and, uh, all of that is everybody. Yes, it is very competitive, but, even your top competitor, if something happens to your bike and they have a part, they'll pretty much give it to you, you know, because they don't want to lose like that. So um, it is a yeah. very, very cool sport for sure. And even your son, Matt, he's really come into his own uh, these past two years with his vlogs and heading out to these pro nationals. And what's it been like for you uh, seeing him uh, do all of this and growing his YouTube? And it seems like he's back to having fun uh, at the races and riding. Yeah, I, and again, we talked before, that's the key, is remember why you did it. And, you know, we went through a, a pretty rough time between the two of us when, you know, I was putting pressure on him, he was putting pressure on himself. And, um, you know, because I didn't have the, the resources financially to give him what he needed. So he had to do well 
And if he didn't do well, then we didn't get the support. If we didn't get the support, he didn't have the opportunity to go there. But, you know, the fun really started for Matt and I back in, I believe it was 2016, when we went out and raced the Outdoor Nationals in the 250. And I think we did eight rounds. He made all of them, finished in the, you know, mid-20s every week. But, it, you know, it didn't matter. The, the goal was to make it and have fun. And, you know, the dream of the factory ride was pretty much gone. And right. the um, and that took the pressure away. And we had so much fun that summer, you know, because we just, me and him in the back of a pickup um, with the KTM 250. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun. And then he had a couple injuries and things kind of went south and he took a little time off. but. I bought him an RM250 two-stroke, and, uh, you know, we rebuilt it, put it together, everything, and he started riding that, and, and he's like, man, I really love this two-stroke, and um, and then that kind of, it blew up not long after that, but yeah, um, that kind of led him down the two-stroke road, and then, you know, becoming the two-stroke guy kind of gave him the ability to get the amount of support he needs to, to go out and do it like he's doing it. That's awesome. Yeah, no, he's uh he's always cool and uh especially going to go hang out with him and I got my media pr- credentials this this year and was able to see him at some of the outdoor nationals that I went to and always got a smile on his face no matter what. Even even at Ironman after he crashed, he still had a smile on his face going back to the truck. It might have been a slight grin, but he's just a really good guy I think to have around and I think everybody through the, his YouTube channel really has grown to enjoy his presence and his commentary and the things that he catches on on video at some of these races. Dude, it's unreal. It's like he has a key eye, and he knows that somebody's about to loop out or somebody's about to endo or something because he catches some of the craziest action I've ever seen in my life. It's Dude, unbelievable. He knows when knows when something is about to go south immediately it's before awesome. it even happens he knows i have parents coming up to me at the racetrack and saying hey could you please tell matt not to film my kid today <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome that is awesome so, um Michael, yeah, it's fun i mean go we go, go oh, i was gonna say we the family's gone to a, you know a few outdoor nationals and i don't really work you know in the pro side much right but, um, you know, I get involved a little bit, but not very much at all. And that gave me the ability to go out and go to some of the races that he went to. And um, so that was fun, get, you know, getting that. And, um, it was, you know, just, just fun watching him have, watching him and his girlfriend have fun because that's what it's all about. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. And uh, the last thing I had for you, Mike, and I'll let Heavy D get in the last comment as well, but music, man, it's been a part of your life for a long time. And I even remember you playing at some of the local events back in the day at like Birch Creek underneath the, uh, um, the pavilion and stuff. So, and, and you still do gigs now, uh, at different places and speak about that a little bit. And, and, uh, I actually went back and looked at, um, some of your photos. I was looking for one for the, for the banner here. And you actually played at Wrigley field back in the nineties, huh? I did. Um, they used to do a thing in, in the nineties called unplugged, like MTV unplugged was a big deal. Right. And they did a thing called unplugged at Wrigley field. And you played for about a half an hour between batting practice and the national anthem. One of my friends had a college roommate that was director of promotions for the Cubs. 
And uh, he got me out there a couple times to do that. That's awesome. And I actually, I don't know if you remember this, but I played with your dad at Minio's one year. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. On uh, Thanksgiving, for the Thanksgiving dinner, um, he brought his drum kit out. And uh, and we didn't practice or anything. We just went out and winged it. Yeah. And, uh, and we had a lot of fun. I played, you know, back when that was racing, I would play um, Josh Cartwright's dad and I. Okay. Which was so play just about everywhere and um, i'm doing about probably one or two gigs a month here in columbus yeah it's hard because i'm not on the weekends very much right so um, but i'm still you know still going at it and i'm actually i think going to open for um bryce malden at the minios this year oh nice that's awesome that Thank is you. Cool. yeah yeah no that's awesome. i don't know if you guys know bryce he's a yeah, yeah. Uh, He's a um, an ex racer and um, moved to Nashville when he was like eighteen, and then you know grinding it out. He's got some great music. His originals are absolutely fantastic. Has a great voice, fun band. You know, watching one of his shows is always fun. That's um, awesome. Yeah, you you so you threw I'm me in a loop with uh, with my dad playing with you at Minio's. I completely forgot about that. I'm like, Dad, why are you bringing my drums? Or why are you bringing your drum set? And he's like, I'm just going to get up there and wing it with uh, Mike Burkeen. And I was yeah. like, really? Yeah. And he was like, yep. And so, oh, man, that's that's awesome. That's uh, that's good times right there. And I trained with uh, with Matt, so it's crazy. Our family's kind of gone a long way from the Ike to Jager back in the day all the way uh, all the way up to now. And yeah. uh, it's pretty cool to see. And, you know, that's what that's what the sport is all about. And, and having those, uh, you know, out-of-context family um, uh, relationships for sure. And it's awesome, uh, to have you on here on the podcast really? and also, uh, willing to do everything that you do on the AMA pro or on the AMA side and, uh, for what you do for the sport in general, heavy D any, uh, any last questions? No, no, no. I was actually, I was going to ask him if he was doing any gigs in Ohio, but he answered that one already. So that was all I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I we we don't really at the AMA we don't really do a lot of podcasts. Um, you know, we don't get into a lot of back and forth when things are crazy and controversial. But, you know, let's just say for sake of example, somebody claims a bike at Minios this year and you guys want to know how it really went down, y'all feel free to call me. Hey, I appreciate it. Yeah, Thank, thanks absolutely. a lot. Yeah, no, and it's 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 awesome just to uh just to be able to, I mean, you reached out to me and wanted to be on the podcast and, uh, you know, I, I wanted to actually have you on, but I knew you were part of AMA and I knew that they don't do very much media stuff, but, uh, it's awesome that you reached out and I'm sure the listeners here on the podcast will really enjoy, uh, being able to hear from, uh, Matt Burkeen's dad, but also you as a AMA, uh, official and, uh, director over there as well. And, uh, we appreciate all of the time tonight, Mike, and yeah, let's keep in touch and, uh, I'm going to try to make it out to Minios, but if I don't, I'm sure I'll see you at a couple races here in the near future for sure. Absolutely. I will be out there for sure. And I appreciate you guys having me on. It was good talking to you. And uh, I miss both of you guys. It's, you know, it's been too long since we've been able to hang out. Yep, for sure. For Absolutely. Sure. Yep. No, it's awesome. I think I saw you at Redbud last year. I think that was the last time I saw you was yep. Redbud last year. Um you guys were in the pits and we got to talk a little bit and I asked you some questions about media stuff and you gave me the right context. So, uh, a lot of that goes, uh, goes out to you. So I appreciate that and, uh, appreciate you coming on to the podcast yeah, and, we'll, and we'll talk soon. 
All right, guys. Have a great evening. All right, you as well. All right, Mike. Later. Bye. All right, and that was Mike Burkeen, the Deputy Director of Racing for the AMA here on the Imperative MX Podcast, episode number 31. Man, that was a good conversation, huh, Heavy D? Oh, heck yeah, dude. That was, that was a real good conversation. You know, hearing, hearing a lot of stories and definitely what goes on up in Ohio, you know. I think that, that that's pretty cool to hear some, you know, number comparisons and uh, some things that could be done differently, you know. And I'm curious to know what is actually done differently, what they do that actually separates them from other tracks getting more rider, more more riders than others, you know. And I, I like hearing stuff like that, all the ins and outs. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's awesome to hear him, you know, what he had to say about local racing. And I think that that's some of the things that they are working on for next year behind the scenes already. So, um, you know, we still have our uh, opinion about training facilities. And, of course, he was uh, a general manager of a training facility. So I can also see his side as well. At the end of the day, we just want to see the local scene grow, and we want to get those numbers back. And anything that we can do to try to get those numbers back, we're going to try and do it, huh, Heavy D? Oh, absolutely. I mean, got to do what we got to do for the local scene. That's where the heart lies. And that's where the legend. That's where legends are born, man. I don't care what nobody says. Like without local racing, you there is no who's who without local racing. That's right, for sure. Hydropower. Hydropower is formulated by a sports nutritionist to help eliminate arm pump and increase your endurance so you can ride safer and faster. I definitely needed it at Lake Sugar Tree, and I was really, really upset I didn't have it. But, hey, you guys can go to drinkhydropower.com to get your Blue Raz, Fruit Punch, Lemonade, whatever flavors they got up there. Go and check out the website. They have a lot of reviews, and you can see from people just like yourself. Review the products. Uh, go and check it out. They have apparel, and uh, go find them on social media. and. Yeah, get rid of that arm pump and increase your endurance today. So go and check out drinkhydropower.com. And the link is in the description of this podcast for 10% off of your purchase of any Hydropower products. And Heavy D, Silver Valley MX Park. Talk me through it, Heavy D. What does there say? The only local national. The, the local national. baddest track. <laughs> the Thatapult. Yes, is, that, is that what we're calling it? Is it Thatapult? I mean, I like it. The Thatapult. I don't know. I think it's, it's definitely between the Thatapult Mount and Mount Mental. Uh, Mount Mental um, I heard some people say Mount the, Mental, the, yeah. The, Sil the Silva Slingshot. That's kind of a tongue twister. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Silva Slingshot. Yeah, that is a turn signal. Uh, uh, I said turn signal. Yeah, nice turn, one. Heavy tongue heavy. twister. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I said uh, I said Mount Silver, Silver Mountain, and uh, you said Thatapult, which I like the Thatapult. That's that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I think the Thatapult's definitely going to be sticking because I tell you what, my man built that in just a handful of days, and it worked. Uh, we'll give Matty Silver yeah. all of the credit in the world. He jumped it first on the third lap, just like he said. But uh, yeah, I think the Thatapult just fits uh, perfectly with with that. But hey. If Maddie hears this, he's going to be like, ah, da, da. I'm just kidding. He's going to be all right. But hey, go and check out Silver uh, Valley he, MX Park for next year. I'm sure their schedule will be coming out. Go ahead, Heavy D. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. Total Control Racing Suspension. Chad Newton over there. I actually talked to him on the phone for quite a while today about actually our new, our 
next guest on here in just a little bit. But he owned an arena cross team for 10-plus years, so you you guys know he knows his stuff. And throughout the years, he's helped out Luke Neese, Mike McDay, Tyler Bright, Josh Thomas, Kyle Peters, Brock Tickle, Jacob Hayes, Jim Chester, and many other local legends have trusted Chad and Total Control Racing Suspension in AMA Motocross, Supercross, Arena Cross, and, of course, at the local races for you guys that are racing that series. And thanks to Chad at Total Control for coming on board to 2023. Of course, he's keeping it really local with Total Control. So go and check out TotalControlSuspension.com. From professional to amateur, Total Control Racing Suspension has got you covered. And guys, go and get your suspension tuned up. Get your oil changed. Get your oil seals replaced. And get comfortable on the bike. So contact Chad Newton over there at Total Control to help you get that comfort that you guys are looking for. PR Motorsports, your newest trackside support trailer at the local NCMX races. They ensure you riders get on the gate and continue racing each weekend. If you need anything, find their trailer at the races, and they will actually be at Minio's, and you guys can actually contact them or call their King North Carolina store to get anything you guys need because PR Motorsports will be down there at Minio's. From tires to engine fixes, they are your trackside support rig for the surrounding area and states. Find them on social media. And thanks to Charlie and Justin for all of their help with everyone at the local motocross races to get you guys back out on the track and stay out on the track. Mika Metals. Mika strives to be the leader in product quality. Their bars are constructed of 6061 aerospace aluminum and have a unique design that allows them to retain Maximum strength while still having the flex rider's desire. Mika sprockets are made from 7075 aerospace aluminum, the highest standard in the industry. Their unique tooth design maximizes wear and lets you ride longer. Go to MikaMetals.com, check out their inventory, and see for yourself. Handlebars, sprockets, tie-down straps, chains, sprays, front and back brake pads, and much more. So go and check out the awesome people over there at MikaMetals.com. And I tell you what, Heavy D, let's go ahead and get the local legend himself from the North Carolina area, Taylor Futrell, here on the line. Let's do it. FXR from high performance snow rider wear to motocross gear, FXR has you covered. The continuing growth of FXR means more selection for you. Jackets, jerseys, pants, gloves, and snow gear, whatever it is, FXR has you covered. In my opinion, and many others' opinion, Go and check out the best in sizing, fitting, and venting for motocross riding gear. Go and check out fxrracing.com and find them on social media as well. Their brand new 2024 gear collections just dropped on their website, so make sure to go and check out the new colorways and styles to get you ready for the 2024 season. And of course, give the FTA, the Full Throttle Adrenaline line, a look from the FXR guys. Phil Nicoletti has been wearing the FTA brand, which is an alternative apparel brand designed to inspire and connect all racers. And I'm telling you what, if it didn't look good, Phil Nicoletti ain't wearing it. So the gear and apparel, of course, look good and feel good. And you know it's top notch, especially if it comes from the guys over there at FXR. And right now on the line, we have a local North Carolina native and one of the local legends that we talk about a lot here on the podcast. It's Taylor Futrell. Taylor, appreciate you coming on to the podcast, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Not a problem, not a problem. But before we get kind of into it, how have you been, and what are you what have you been doing nowadays? You've been kind of uh kind of hiding from us a little bit these last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, 
just uh, living the, the family life or, or normal life. I live up in uh, Hendersonville, North Carolina, so up near uh, Asheville. Okay. Uh, married, two kids, and just uh, work and kids and life. You know, that's that's kind of it. That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, you got two, you got two little ones now. How how is that? I'm sure it's uh, sure it's yeah, pretty it, crazy, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a lot of work, uh, but it's fun. It's awesome. I mean, I definitely uh, couldn't imagine it not being that way. But yeah, it's uh, it's uh, definitely busy. It changes for sure. That's awesome. And uh, you've been retired in quotations. I don't believe we ever received an <laughs> yeah. official statement uh, on that. But it's it's been a while now. So um, what happened for you to say I'm I'm kind of done? Like what what made you want to hang up the boots? Yeah, so there's probably several things, but I uh, I was just struggling, man. I mean, I, I was doing okay, and I was still making main events, and I just, you know, never got a great level of support that I, I think I took racing very seriously, and I wanted to do it at the highest level. I thought I was capable of, you know, winning, right? And I just wasn't, you know, I just wasn't doing that. Yeah. And um, you know, I kind of bounced around a little bit with this or that or support, and you know, just like everybody, that I got uh, or I had several injuries toward the end, and then, uh, you know, several things, but injuries, and then honestly, I, I developed a, a pill addiction, which, you know, that uh, also didn't, uh, you know. So anyway, a culmination of things, but. Yeah between addiction and just not doing, you know, I just, uh, it was time, you know, it just wasn't, wasn't going where, uh, where I wanted it to. And just, uh, fizzled out a lot sooner than I wanted to, yeah. uh, you know, I look back now and I, you know, I'm grateful for what I did and I, you know, it, it was, uh, it was a good time, but it definitely didn't, didn't, you know, in the way, the way I would have wanted to, but, you know, that's where we're at. Yeah. And do you, you know, one of the questions I have was, did, did you, do you miss it at all? Do you, do you ride anymore really nowadays? Or, um, do, do you just miss going to the races and just ride, riding and having fun with your friends? Or have you kind of fizzled out of that phase as well? No, I, I uh, with, with kids in life, it's, it's extra busy right now. So right. I don't, you know, I, I don't know what I would do any, you know, how, involved i would be but yeah i think about it um you know relatively often that i that I always kind of get the itch like hey I, I'd, I'd like to go ride or do this or do that but yeah I, de I definitely miss it yeah i uh you know miss being at the races and the people and the camaraderie and just kind of that uh that hanging with your friends and just riding but no i don't i uh for a little while i was a trainer after i quit and uh I trained, I was a trainer at South of the Border for, you know, several years and I would ride periodically then. But right. since I moved up here uh, to Hendersonville in 2018 and since then, man, I haven't, uh, I haven't touched the bike. I've got, I've got a little uh, pit bike with a 110 in my basement and then a 252 stroke that I, a Honda that I kept and fixed up um, that's like in like perfect condition and nice. I don't ever want to ride it. So I just don't. Uh, <laughs> I would like to say one day I'll, I'll get a bike and I'll ride again. I'll be scared to see how, you know, how terrible I would be at this point. But yeah, I, I would like to say at some point I'll get back into it. Yeah, I, I took off. I had a bunch of injuries and, and things like that and kind of called the, the pro career, you know, hey, it's not going to happen. And I tried to get, you know, kind of away from the sport. But once it's in your blood, it's, it's kind of hard. So 
I'm sure eventually, you know, yeah. uh, here soon, I'm sure you'll you'll find the itch and you'll go out to 421 or NCMP or something and put down a couple of laps and then you'll be like, man, I don't remember the arm pump being this bad, you know. So. Oh um, yeah, it was uh, it was like that before I even you know when I would still ride. So I, I quit racing in 2012, but I would ride period you know like once a month, every other month. Well, you know every four months, right. uh, you know between then and maybe 2018, and it was like that then. I mean, it was uh, it was terrible how quick the. It's just crazy. You don't realize when you're in shape and you're riding like how hard it actually is. That's right. And, uh, yeah, physically, but yeah, so that, uh, it w- it would be rough for sure. Yeah. And you, you would definitely get on the bike to show the guys what you're talking about. And if somebody was like, Hey, I can't really hit this corner. Good. You're like, Hey, let me see your bike and let me go do it real quick. Cause that's about <laughs> all I got. <laughs> yeah. That's, Pretty much, that's it. That's awesome, and I, I, you know, you talked about it a little bit, and you can get into it if you want to. But it was hard for you to hang up the boots, of course, and you know, you were struggling there for a little bit with the addiction. Uh, with the addiction, but how were you able to come out of uh, come out of that and and kind of get yourself back on the on the right track? To, to speak to us about that, if you'd like. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, you know, it was just crazy. I, I had surgeries, you know, riding dirt bikes, motocross. You're, you know, I was hurt. Uh, since, you know, I was 10 years old or 11 years old, you know, having your first surgery. And I had however many surgeries and broken bones. So you're always, you know, getting pills, but it never, never was a thing. Like it never affected me. Like all I ever thought about was how soon you could get back on the bike, you know, like as a racer, like you get injured and that's all you care about. Well, for whatever reason, you know, in 2012, I think because my career, my racing wasn't, do you know i wasn't performing as i thought i would or should so i was kind of in a you know in, in a negative mental space with that i had a pretty right before supercross i had a pretty bad collarbone injury uh i just broke my collarbone badly and i had surgery and you know after the surgery the pills and and i think that's kind of when it started and it just progressed from there like instead of just taking them for a day or two, like I normally would, uh, I just took the whole prescription and then, you know, I like got more and more, you know, I just right. kept like going. And then it, you know, for two years off and on, I did that. And it was, um, you know, it was rough. Like I was functional and I still was working and living my life, but it was just, uh, yeah, it just wasn't a good place the whole time. I knew it's not what I wanted to be doing or I shouldn't be doing that. Um, but it was just once the kind of the, the physical addiction actually started and the withdrawals and, you know, I don't know how much you guys know about, yep. you know, addiction, but yeah, it was just, it was tough. So I tried several times getting like a good go getting clean, but just couldn't work it out. And eventually I met my wife now, but I, I met her. Uh, she was going to grad school in Tallahassee at uh, FSU, and I bought a plane ticket to go um, help her move in. And uh, I found like a detox in Tallahassee. And like in North Carolina, it was tough to find. Like I tried to find like a rehab or detox, and I couldn't. Like they basically told me uh, my addiction wasn't bad enough. Like I was just taking pills. Like there was people out there you know with their issues were much worse so basically i was on a waiting list so i called the place in tallahassee they said like yeah sure come on in wow so i (laughs) yeah flew down to tallahassee i like she drove me to this detox place i went there for three four days and then 
you know, I found an outpatient, um, like, treatment program there. And my plan was to stay there for 30 days and do the treatment program. And I did that. And once I had, like, 30 days clean, I kind of realized I should stay a little longer. Yeah. Um, and I ended up living down there for two years. Um, and, you know, and now that's been – it'll be 10 years uh, this upcoming June. Nice. So, uh but yeah, so it, it, it was rough. It's nothing I ever thought about because I, throughout my racing, I, um, I never drank, you know, I never like one, I never saw any drugs. Like that just wasn't the world I lived in. Right. So I never even considered it to be a possibility or, yeah. you know, in, until it was just there. Uh, but I just think for me, it was the perfect storm. I'm kind of like an obsessive personality. Mm. Um, and like I said, racing wasn't going good. And then the, the pills and, you know, it just, it just, it just happened. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, the Imperative MX podcast episode number 31, speaking with local North Carolina native Taylor P. Trail brought to you by FXR. Heavy D? Man, <laughs> you went off grid. <laughs> and yeah. it was, uh, uh, hold on, what, what gets me? Dude, we live not even 20 minutes apart, and I didn't even know it. Yeah, where are you at? I'm in Forest City, but I work in Hendersonville every day. Dude, I uh, I, I work in Spartanburg, so I drive down through there, you know, on 26 every day. Yeah, I didn't even know that. I was like, you said yeah. Hendersonville. I've been like, wait a minute. He went yeah. off grid, and he's been in the backyard the whole time, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like he's out here hiding in plain sight. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Nah, man, I, I love it though. It's like I know, like it's funny because me and me and Zach, man, we talk about you all the time. It's like we get on the stories about like riders we love watching, and like seeing you so much and watching you ride. I'm like, dude, like Taylor was like by far one of the gnarliest dudes I love to watch. It was just like. He he broke out that fox gear and that hot that 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 red that, that red hotter dude. It was like it was go time. It was <laughs> it, it was time, dude. And yeah. I mean, I loved it. Like now, like you have what two kids? Two two kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a I've got a little girl that's almost three and a little boy that he'll be one in December. So yeah, two. Okay, now I know. Like I mean, you ask any like racer nowadays, it's a, a lot of them. I mean. <laughs> I mean you say if they have you have they have kids, they're like, "Well, you gonna let them ride?" They're like, "No, uh, uh, heck no, absolutely not." Yeah. But I mean, do you, like say if it's something your kids want to do, like, would you entertain it? You know? Yeah, I think I would. I I have definitely been in that category ever, even before I quit racing and thought about kids. I always called to, to race at the level I did or drive you know it's a lot it, it you know it's a lot on your family it's a lot on you like you, the social aspect is you know i was homeschooled and all, all these things like it's tough so like i don't know that that's what i would want for a kid but at this so i thought that's the reason i've always been like no you know i don't know I, I wouldn't right. want a kid to do it but yeah at this point like just knowing how it is to, to, to have a kid and if it's something they wanted to do yeah i would uh Oh, definitely. You know, we would we would we would try it out. To to what extent, I don't know, but for sure, if it was like something they wanted to do, we would uh, we figure something out. No, I, I understand that because you know, I mean, I wasn't ever at that level, but you know, you see, like a lot of a lot of guys. I mean, like yourself, 
you know, who authors through Cody Robbins, like all these dudes that like came up in, in your air, um, even like Stephen Howes and a bunch of those dudes, that was at that level. And it's like, it's a lot to be at that level. You know, it's a lot of ups and downs. And I mean, you had, you know, a ride in amateur ranks. And I feel like, you know, the only, I, I ain't gonna say it's a downfall, but it's definitely, you grow up quick in the moto industry yeah. when you get to that level. That's, that's for sure. I mean, because, I mean, it don't matter what level, you, you know, from 50s to big bikes, I mean, you can be good one minute and everybody wants you the next minute, they'll drop you like a bad habit if you ain't doing good. So it makes yeah. you grow up quick. So, I mean, I get that 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there, there's pros and cons. I think, uh, obviously, it was a great time. You know, I, I started riding dirt bikes since I was five years old. You know, when I was five years old, my dad got me a PW50 and I just started, you know, riding around the house and eventually went to Devil's Ridge for my first race and, you know, and then uh, went to Loretta's the first time I was on a 50 or 8 years old and then we kind of started getting into it more seriously and, and it just kind of spiraled from there, but it, I wouldn't change any of it. I just, um, yeah, but it, it, it can be tough, you know, when, when you look back and you don't college or an education was never even a part of the possible equation like from the time say i would you know all kids say they want to be pro but from the time i was maybe 13 14 like that's really what you know full-time training traveling um everything was was uh geared toward just that you know when i was i started racing a class like locally when i was 14 years old and to, to try to make money to help support uh racing i had a a mechanic uh when i was 15 that i'm paying his salary like full time from what i make on the weekend and that's you know that's not a normal life of a of a 15 16 year old trying to like you know figure all that out but um like i said i, I definitely wouldn't change any of it for sure it was uh you know some of the best memories i, I could imagine and, and uh, the people you meet and the friends you make and, and all of that but yeah it's definitely got its uh, ups and downs for sure <laughs> Oh, a hundred percent. It's it's funny you say it's like I knew you raised pro pretty early, but it's like dang, as a kid, you had to <laughs> you had to make money to uh you know basically make sure somebody had food on their plate. Oh, <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, I guess it teaches you at a young age how to support somebody. So now you know, uh, as a full adult having kids, just I mean. You get them. You guys just don't understand when they get older. I was supporting a grown man when I was fourteen years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes you grow up yeah. quick. This sport definitely does make you grow up quick. And I wasn't, you know, at the at the very top level that you were, Taylor. But I mean, man, I learned a lot just in my years. And I feel like that's what motocross does to people. It grows them up quickly, and you get, you know, competition. You get, you know, that friendship. You get. You know, all of these different things that motocross comes with and um, camaraderie and, you know, adrenaline and all of this stuff. You learn things very, very quick in this sport. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I said, I, I you know, when I look back now being I'm just turned 33, I mean, like I said, I wouldn't change anything, but there are mostly positives but there are you know it is it, you know it has its uh tough times and negatives too i just think like i said with, with um you know education you know most kids who if you're really 
uh, you have the exceptions, the Cooper Webbs or, or other people that have, have really, uh, you know, went all the way through school right. and, you know, actually made like a, like a top level career out of it. But for the most part, that's just not in the plan. You know, if you're going to be a, a, a motocross racer, like you're traveling so much and, and, and all of that. And then even just the training part of it to keep up with everybody, like you've got to dedicate so much time at, at such a young age. Right. Um, so there's, you know, at least with like other stick and ball sports, you know, you, uh, school is a part of that plan, you know, right. somewhat. So, <laughs> you know, that's kind of a negative, but, uh, yeah. But like I said, I, I wouldn't change anything that people I've met and, you know, the sponsors I had and, and the friends and the memories and, and also the just as negative, the positive life, life lessons and work ethic and, and all of that. It's, uh, I can't imagine growing up or, or really doing it any differently. Right. Um, so are you overall happy with the, with the career that you had now looking back on it yeah, after I, 10 years or so? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. I, um, yes and no, I guess, you know, like, uh, if I, let's say, so it's 23, so roughly 10, 11 years ago, right when I stopped, I definitely would have not, you know, I was, I was bitter for quite a, quite a while because I truly believed I could have done more. Uh, And I'm sure most people, most people do. Um, but I I went pro at kind of a rough time just with economy and money and and rides. Uh, I thought I was good enough to, to get at, you know, some type of, of support at the pro level. Um, so I was bitter about that for a while. And then it just, you know, I just, whether I wasn't good enough or the, the situation, it just didn't work out. So right afterwards, because uh, when you're in it, you know, you're so focused on, it doesn't matter. So like, sorry, I'm kind of jumping around. But when I was, a, when I was younger, I thought winning Loretta's or, you know, there, there's levels. So like making it to Loretta's would be the coolest thing ever. Right. right. And then you make it there. And then it's like, well, you want to do better, right? So then you get a top 10 and it's like, well, that, you know, then you want to do better and better and better. And then it's like, nothing's good enough except winning. Um, and that, that's kind of, it's just perspective. So when I got done racing immediately, I would have said, no, I, I wasn't happy with it. Um, but now looking back, you know, I, I traveled the world and the country and I did what I you know, always dream what I went to bed every night for however long, 15 years dreaming about doing. Like I did that. I didn't accomplish everything, but I, from a, from a larger picture, from a thousand foot view. Yes. I, I, uh, at this point I am, I, I'm proud of what I did. I still wish, you know, I could have done more, but I, I definitely am proud and happy of what I did accomplish at that time. For sure. uh, that's awesome. And I bet you that, Oh wait, uh, number one title was uh, really good in that motocross A when you finally won your first uh, Loretta's title, huh? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I can remember. Uh, it's funny because um, I so went to Loretta's. So I, I would have been seventeen at that point. So I've been going to Loretta's for you know ten years. And I, and once I turned, I, I didn't do well on, on little bikes uh, like fifties and sixties. You know, m- maybe a top ten at the end of sixties. Uh, my being on a sixty, but once I got on the later eighty years, I started. I got a podium like in a moto, and I got on one twenty five, and I got I got second a couple times like in schoolboy class. Um, but I never, you know, never was able to win. And it's all, you know, you think about all year, like Loretta's is the biggest thing. So I finally, uh, when I won the, the 
uh, motocross A class, I can remember afterwards uh, just sitting at the truck feeling and thinking like I did it, you know, like right. I, like we did it, like it was like such a big deal. But then, you know, just like all athletes, like that goes by quick and you're kind of on to the next thing. But it's, yeah, it's definitely an accomplishment now uh, that I look back and I, I really, you know, I'm proud of because once again, you know, you uh, always want more, but like that's something that not a lot of people, you know, have accomplished or are able to get for whatever reason to that level. So, right. um, you know, in the, in the big picture, it's definitely something special. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that for sure. Yeah. No kidding. And then when you went pro, you went to Southwick and put in a fifth place, you got seventh, seventh, if I remember correct, uh, correctly for a fifth overall. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, 2009, I raced Loretta's again. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to go pro at the end of 08, but, uh, there was no ride or anything. And, uh, amateur American Honda was able to get me a pretty good deal to stay amateur. So I stayed amateur and I won a couple of titles that year, uh, just at other nationals Loretta's. I got uh, second, but I didn't win. Dean Wilson won. I, uh, won the first moto. Uh, anyway, whatever. I, I didn't win. <laughs> uh, and we, I, I went pro after that. Yep. So I, the first one was Bud, Bud's Creek. Um, you still put in a good uh, the first there, moto, didn't you? Yeah, it was okay. So the first moto, I, uh, I got a great start. So I was like in like fifth and going up one of the hills, I actually hit like a pothole and over the bars. I, you know, I crashed pretty bad, like right on the first lap and I couldn't get my bike started. So I came around. 40th uh probably 30 seconds behind the the next guy but i you know rode the whole motor charged hard i think i, I got like 20th the first motor second motor it was actually muddy but i got eight which yeah. w- was good i mean that was my first real go at a at a at a motor without like a crash or anything right uh, but it was muddy so i didn't i didn't know um so then the next weekend southwick I've never been to Southwick, but where I'm from in, in Eastern North Carolina, uh, it's, it's sandy. Right. Um, so I, I'm super comfortable in the sand. Uh, bike worked great. I qualified, I think, like uh, eighth, ninth. There's somewhere in the top ten. Right. Uh, so a good gate pick. First moto, I ran. I was in the top five most of the moto at some point. I kind of fell back. I didn't have goggles because uh, <laughs> the sand, something happened, fell back. I got seventh. Second moto, actually, I ran third for like 20-some minutes. I, I was pretty disappointed at getting uh, seventh because uh, I, I was in third most of the moto. Yeah. And uh, it was just, a you know, coming from the amateur to, to, to do a national, it's a, it's a big difference. Just oh, the yeah. moto lengths and, and everything, you're like being prepared. And I, my legs started cramping. So in the last say two or three laps i literally had to ride around with my legs like on the shrouds because my calves and hamstrings were cramping so bad so i just had to pretty much sit down and like leave my legs like fully extended on the shrouds and i got passed a couple times but um yeah it was awesome i got you know fifth overall which was for a privateer you know a rookie uh not really knowing what to expect was was amazing so i bet you sand hills probably helped out a little bit huh yeah, Sam Hills Camp Poker. Uh, there was another one called Montrose that closed yep. down, but it uh, it was like legit, like deep, deep sand. So I grew up riding all of that. And like I said, I, I had a pretty nice track at my house, and that's yep. where I you know, grew up riding and training, and it was all sandy. So I was uh, 
definitely prepared for that for sure. No, that's awesome. And, uh, and you did a handful of super crosses as well. Um, I bet you that was a little different from, from moto for sure. Huh? Or did you have a, did you, did you ride any, uh, supercross, you know, coming, kind of coming into it? Were you more comfortable with, with supercross than, um, you may thought of now or how was the supercross for you? Yeah, I think now amateurs are more prepared because there's obviously more, uh, tracks around. There's, um, you know, the super, the, the future events and all of this stuff at that time, especially around here, this is pre-club, uh, any of that. There's not really accessible, uh, you know, supercross track. So I wrote a little bit there. I don't know if either of you guys know, but there's a gentleman named Lonnie Taylor. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. Lonnie. I haven't heard that yeah, name so in a Lonnie, long time. Yeah. Yes, so Lonnie had a, a supercross track behind his house uh, right off of I-95. Um, it's like sandy, and it was it, it was pretty gnarly, honestly. It was like two minutes long. It was just like jumps everywhere. But anyway, it was it was a supercross-ish you know, thing that you could ride. Right. So I rode it a little bit, um, but I didn't have a lot of experience on supercross. And then before – you know, that, that was growing up, you know, and then the, so I I did the nationals and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. You know, I I plan to race supercross. So I'm trying to figure out my program, what bike I'm going to ride all that. So I actually paid Lonnie uh, to kind of turn his trail, make his track, my track. I basically rented his property and he turned it into uh, a, a, you know, kind of a regulation size supercross. So I trained there all, winter um and got you know pretty decent at it you know as good as i could and i my first year i ended up having to ride a ktm which wasn't you know in hindsight wasn't uh, at that time the bike and the situation wasn't the best but it was an opportunity to help me get to all the races and you know kind of uh, some support to make it work uh but i ended anyway i ended up making all the main events uh that year um the best i did so this was in 2010 was uh ninth, ninth i believe in that yeah yep. yeah yeah so i got ninth at dallas that year and then so i started kind of figuring it out or getting a little bit better and then um uh houston my shock broke in a heat race so there was like an on off uh into a, another jump and anyway when i landed the shock that actually the like the shock body broke in half and it just like turned into a pogo yeah like turned into a pogo stick and i went over the bars and i broke my foot pretty badly so i had surgery on it and i was out for six months and then so i pretty much missed the outdoors and i came back uh to get ready for supercross the next year which was 2011 um and that year was about the same you know i i that at that time is when South of the Border became a place there. It was Jimmy Weinert's and they had a supercross track there and yep. me and Tyler Bright and Ryan Zimmer and Les Smith and uh, Jimmy Dakotas. There's a bunch of people. We were down there training and getting ready. And I honestly was feeling back, kind of getting my confidence back and feeling back uh, like myself. Um, and like two weeks before the first round, I had a, it was a brand new chain, but I, I had a chain break on a, uh, just in a rhythm section and once again went over the bars and I, I got a pretty bad concussion and I I felt fine after like a week or so but I just uh, it just kind of set me back yeah. um, 
so anyway, I mean, it's, you know, everybody deals with injuries, but so went into that year and, and kind of the same thing, just mediocre. I made most of uh, the main events, if not all of them. Um, but I just had, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th DNF, you know, just uh, somewhere right outside or around the top 10. I think the best I did that year was eight yep, in Jackson, uh, at Jacksonville. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's cool. Supercross was just, it, I didn't know that yeah. you, that, that, you, you know, you kind of paid your, uh, paid Mr. Taylor, you know, to have your, uh, track there. That's kind of interesting. I didn't know about that. Yeah. So I, once again, I have a, you know, a pretty nice place at my, well, it's my parents' house, but it, it's just all sand. So right. it's not great for Supercross. So, um, and, and once again, this was before really Club MX had anything and there was just no real tracks or like Supercross tracks around. So, right. um, I, uh, yeah, so he, he uh, we kind of worked out a deal and that, that's where I trained the, the first year. Yeah. And then, you know, the next year was that was, uh, south of the border and, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. But yeah, my, my second year, I, uh, Supercross was just. I don't know. It, confidence in motocross, you know, as you guys know, but it's such a big deal. Yeah. Um, I was, when I, like my last couple of years amateur, so doing the local scene where you guys would have been around 2007, eight, nine, like I was very confident. You know, right. I, uh, any, anytime I came to a race, no matter what, you know, I, I felt, and most of the time did win, but I felt like I was going to win. Um, and I think that's kind of what led into when I first went pro in the nationals, I was kind of at that stage and I had really good equipment, had good sponsors, you know, Rusty from Triangle, and, uh, Fred Bertucci with motors and VP with motors and suspension. And I just had, you know, good people and good support and I had a good program and things were good. Um, and I was very confident, but then after a couple injuries and this and that and the fights, you know, weren't quite as good. I, um, I just think I lost a little confidence and the results weren't there and supercross. I just never felt like I actually raced a supercross. Like I, I, I was in several races, but I, you know, I, I just didn't race to my ability basically. Right. I, uh, I was, I was just kind of comfort zone, huh? Yeah, yeah. I um, I don't think Supercross was. I, I just think being, um, you know, being in the stadium and being like, like take for instance, uh, just the mental side of it. Like the year before, I was racing Dean Wilson or, or Justin Barsha or whoever at these at the amateur or local races, and I I would beat them or I would think I could beat them. Like you know, you're kind of like on this level playing field, but then. Once we got into Supercross, uh, Dean Wilson was on Pro Circuit and uh, Barsha was on Geico. And then all of a sudden, instead of feeling like equal, like you kind of look at them differently, like, right. oh, that's Justin Barsha, that's Dean Wilson. Like just psychologically, I just didn't, I wasn't as good mentally yeah. um, as I should have been. So I constantly, uh, I just didn't perform as well as, as I you know, think I was capable of. Right. Um, but yeah, it's you know it's tough to make that transition for sure. Oh, for sure. And I did a, a handful of years of arena cross, and even you know going from motocross all year, and then you go to those four or five months of of arena cross racing. It was it was tough those first couple of rounds, and you know I in 2013 I got seventh overall in the East Coast Championship, which really isn't that big of a deal. But it but 
you know, just saying it is hard, you know, going from those outdoors where you're kind of wide open and can go wherever you want to, uh, having to be on time and making sure that you hit this, you're kind of, you know, got the eyes in the back of your head, making sure that person doesn't pass you and you're bumping people and, and, you know, being inside of the stadium with a little bit of pressure and, uh, the noise of the crowd and stuff like that. It, it is definitely a mental game for the supercross and indoor style racing, uh, for sure. So I, I definitely get that. Do you still watch and engage with the racing now? I know that uh, Burke King comes over to your house every now and again, and uh, you used to help, uh, you know, with Asheville and and things like that. But um, do you do you watch and engage with the racing? Because I know you have a ton of friends who are still racing and within the industry. Yeah, yeah, man. I uh, I can't get away from it. I uh, yeah, especially like Supercross, it, it, it's rough because I can't. Uh, I have to watch it. Like I. I I don't think I've ever missed a race. Yeah. Um, so like Supercross, you know, if they're West Coast, it's late and I got kids. So like I'll stay up and watch the race and it's like one o'clock and I go to bed and my kid's up at six. It's like I always regret it, but I just, yeah, I, I've watched every race. Uh, like you said, Bert Burkeen, he, um, he'll come stay with me a couple times a year to, to do Asheville. And then um, Justin, uh, Justin Rodbell, his girlfriend lives up here. Uh, so I'll see him from time to time, but yeah, I, uh, I did, I avidly watch. Um, yeah, I, I haven't missed a race. I'm still into it. I, I can't, uh, can't seem to just shake it. Yeah, no, once you, like I said, like we were talking about in the beginning, once it's, once it's there, it's kind of there for, for an eternity for sure. Um, and it's good to hear yeah. that, you know, you're still watching engage. And actually we just saw Rod Bell at the silver Valley, um, uh, pro shootout uh, a couple weeks ago uh with, yeah. he- with heavy so it was uh mm-hmm. it was cool to see and you know he's coming off that achilles injury and man he still puts in work out there for sure and uh he's got a good ride uh, yeah. going into next year so i think that will help him out as well the imperative mx podcast episode number 31 speaking with taylor futrell brought to you by the good people over there at fxr heavy d oh yeah 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 um dang hold on so you still see rod bell too uh-huh. Yeah. So like I said, his, uh, his girlfriend's actually from up here, uh, in Hendersonville. Um, so anyway, he, you know, they come to visit her family. So, uh, we'll go play golf every you know, couple of weeks or once a month or however often, but yeah, so I, I still see him from time to time. Yeah. 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 I knew she, uh, I knew she lived up there. Uh, I seen him when he would come up some actually, I didn't even, I didn't even think about that, man. That's crazy. And he never yeah. said anything. I'm having a conversation with Rob. <laughs> yeah, he didn't too. say yeah, one word. But yeah, man, I'm just I'm glad you're doing good, man. It's it's so good to actually hear your voice, hear for you, know you're doing good. You know you got a family, kid, and you living life. I mean, it's always good. You know, I didn't. God, I didn't know. No, I don't think anybody knew anything. If they did, nobody was saying anything. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, I'm glad you're doing. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, man, it's it's good to hear. And, you know, you've been one of the ones that we've talked about ever since we started the podcast last year after the uh, Top Gun showdown. And I was like, you know what, we're going to get we're going to get Taylor on here. We talk about him a lot. And he's definitely one of our uh, local legends that we talk about from the area, because, man, like you were talking about, when you would go to those local races, I mean, you might have felt it on the inside that you were winning, but all of us standing on the line, we were like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a battle, and Futrell's ready to win. You can just kind of see it in uh, in your eyes for sure. And, uh, speaking, yep. speaking of local legends, uh, Taylor, who who was one of your favorites uh, from around the surrounding North Carolina, 
South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia area. Who was those, who were some of those guys that you looked up to when you were coming through the amateur ranks? Uh, yeah. So, you know, mo- most of the, the people that I, that I think of, you know, were around my age. So I, I grew up, uh, Brock Tickles, one of my best friends, uh, Ian Treadle's a little bit younger. Um, Zach Osborne, like we all kind of, uh, PJ Larson, Austin Stroop, we all, uh, grew up, uh, riding and, and training and racing together. Uh, but before that, Somebody I always admired so much, and he didn't race professionally, but just was Kevin Walker. Like, yeah. I always loved watching uh, him ride and race. And, and then since I turned or went to the A class so early, I, I raced him, yeah. you know, for, for four or five years throughout that time, which was uh, which was awesome. But, yeah, I always looked up to, to him. Um, but, yeah, North Carolina, man, it has – or just this kind of the southeast region, you know, especially around that time. I'm, I'm not as involved now, but um, – yeah, we, we just had a lot of a lot of good riders, and the local scene was super good. You know, every weekend uh, there was just always super, you know really good competition around around our area. So we were super fortunate in that way. Yeah, and me and Heavy D talk about all the time that I think we have some of the best motocross racers that come out of this uh, southeast area. Um, you know, from your time and even up to now. I mean, we still have really really good riders uh, that race and do really well at Loretta's and, and that sort of thing. And I still think that we're one of the most popular, uh, area that, that, uh, has these motocross racers and some of them are, are so, so good. And, you know, uh, with you and PJ and Les and even Treadle, you know, even though he was from Florida, he came up to race a lot up here too. And all yeah, of those- so he, he wasn't, he wasn't from Florida. He was from, uh, Nevin, Burlington area. He moved to Florida when he was like 14. Oh, okay. Okay. That's right. Actually, you know what? Yeah. That is right. Yeah. That's right. He moved to Florida later on. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, who was that? Treadle? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll never yeah. Yeah. He had a creek, sick track. Man. He had, he, he was, yeah. a, he was a, he was a menace on a dirt bike, man. That kid was fast for sure. And, yeah, he we'll was. have to get him on the, uh, his, on the podcast at some point, too. First thing. His brother Gavin was good. He yeah. just, I mean, he yeah. never really pursued it hard, but he was good. Yeah, yeah, Gavin didn't. Uh, it was kind of like the story with Malcolm Stewart for the longest time with, with James, you know, like James was this uh, superstar and Malcolm didn't care. You know, he just kind of had fun. Uh, and that's kind of how Gavin Gavin was. He, uh, I don't know, he, he liked to ride and he was good, uh, but he also just liked to fish and hang out with his friends and do whatever. But yeah, they were, they, they had an awesome uh, uh, track there at their house, a, a huge shop and a, a cool setup. So uh, me and Brock Tickle and uh, countless people, you know, grew up kind of staying over there and riding and training with them. So that, that yeah, there's been a lot and, um, you know, they all haven't worked out, but just the, the few we've named, like in my era, uh, Brock and PJ and, uh, Cooper and Kyle Peters and, and Les and Zach Osborne and, and uh, even, you know, Ryan Zimmer and, and all, all these guys. There's, there's been a lot of uh, good racers come out of the area, so that's awesome. Yeah, and me and me and Ryan Zimmer go way back. He was him, and uh, I don't know if you remember a name, Joe Bean, from back in the day, but he was uh, – those. I, uh, I, I used to train Joe, Joe Bean at my house. Yeah. Did you really? That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, yeah, him and um, – his dad and my dad were really close and um Zimmer's dad and my dad were close so we always parked next to each other at the races and uh no that's cool yeah, and I know yeah, that you I guys remember. were 
Yeah, all of those down there at south of the border. Uh, you guys went down there and, and started training there too. So it's uh, crazy how uh, everything kind of comes uh, full circle, and that's awesome. Was Is there uh, one race? I got one more for you. Is there one race or maybe someone that you battle with all the time that you just remember looking back at, uh, you know, at your amateur racing and you were like, man, that was that was awesome. Can you think of one race or maybe one battle that you had with somebody where you were like, man, I went all out for that and we just went at it and it was just a really fun race that you could think of. Yeah. So honestly, um, Les Smith and I had a lot of good, you know, we're, we're pretty much the exact same age and we're, and we're always friends, but we, we had a lot of good, uh, races. I can't remember one specific one, but I remember, um, so Zach Osborne, Zach, uh, he's a year older than me, but we, you know, grew up racing and one year at Camp Coker, uh, I think at this time he was already with, uh, factory KTM. Um, but he raced a winter series race, but I, I, uh, I kind of felt like the underdog in that, in the situation. Uh, but we had like a great battle and I, uh, I can like vividly remember that one and kind of the feeling uh, of just him and I back and forth that entire race uh, there at Camp Coker. But yeah, there's there's uh, been quite been quite a few. Yeah. Do you remember you and Les battling at Rolling Hills? I I don't remember the year, but right there before you came out of the wood section and they had those they had that one big roller and then they had a smaller roller before yeah. you went to the right and you guys mm-hmm. both jumped that double going into the corner and dude that was we mm-hmm. I, I talk about it all the time because i saw that and i'm just like holy shit dude like <laughs> like <laughs> oh my god and were you i, I know that you, a lot of people like the finish line you hit the tree limbs but i'm telling you man that mm-hmm. double going down the hill was fucking gnarly and it's crazy yeah how fast you guys were going into that corner because it was you know little singles going through that tree section and then you guys were wide open to hit that single to make it a double and then you were literally landing off you know landing and leaning the bike to go into that small little sand corner before you guys start going up the hill that was that was pretty wicked and pretty awesome. And then Birch Creek had that big uh, yeah. triple down there in the in the snake pit. On the back, yeah, in the back straight. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. dude. That, yeah, that, those were some of the memories I remember. And and uh, you coming up to Birch Creek because I'm from this Virginia area, and so anytime that you guys came up to Birch Creek and race, man, it was game on, man, for sure. And it's awesome that uh, that you were willing to come on to the podcast this week. Had a really good conversation with you and glad that you're doing well. And I'm sure the listeners here uh, on the Imperative MX podcast listening are going to really enjoy that conversation and glad to know that you're all good and, and uh, everything's going well for you with your family and, and all of that. So, um, Heavy D, do you have anything else for Taylor Futrell here? No, I'm just glad he's doing good. Finally got to hear the voice after 38 years. <laughs> yeah, hey man, we'll have to uh, we'll have to all get together and we'll go to dinner or something next time I I uh, I get yeah. down there to North Carolina and I'm actually planning on moving there at, at some point during the 2024 season. So we're working out the small details and we're gonna have a studio so that we can uh, bring some of you guys in KP and and Hayes and uh, might even get Zimmer. I actually saw Zimmer at the North Carolina State Championship race a couple of. Uh, couple of uh, weeks ago and that was cool to see and uh and yeah we'll have to get you to come in the studio and uh and maybe have some dinner or something like that in the future man it would be awesome 
Yeah, guys, honestly, anytime. I, uh, I appreciate it. I don't get to my everyday life. I don't uh, talk dirt bikes that much. So it's been uh, it's been a pleasure uh, just kind of chopping it up and uh, remembering all, all the all the good memories. And uh, yeah, once again, just thanks for having me. I, I truly appreciate it. Anytime, you know, just uh, get up with me. I'd love to meet up or come back on or, or whatever. So I uh, appreciate it. Nah, man, we appreciate you. And uh, yeah, episode number 31 here with Taylor Petrell. And have a good night, man. I appreciate it. All right, guys. You too. Thanks. Later. Yeah. And that was Taylor Futrell, Heavy D. The ghost has come out. Hey. And he, and he hey. talked, man. That's that's awesome. And, uh, man, that was such a good conversation. And you can tell that uh, right there at the end when he said, you know, I don't get to talk about dirt bikes too much, but it was fun to reminisce and go back on the good times. And, uh, man, that was uh, that was awesome. Man, I, you know, honestly, I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, a lot of guys, even if they get away from it, everybody's still going to have some love for it. And no matter what, like, they can get as far away from it as possible. They're still going to have, they're still going to have that love for it. I mean, it's just, it, it just, it's just something that just won't ever leave you. It can't leave you. It's, it's hard. Like, you can't get, once it's in your blood, it ain't no getting out. No, that's for sure. And man, I tell you what, it, those races watching him, I mean, with Les and PJ and Osborne and Stroop and, all of those guys, man, it was just a wild time. And if you weren't there, it's hard to express what type of vibe and and uh, amazing racing we got to watch. Just on it, literally, it was like an every weekend occurrence. Any time that there was a district race, I mean, those guys were showing up, you know, and putting on a hell of a show. Oh yeah, dude they dude they were throwing down like that's one of them like that is that is like the golden era. I mean, it, it, you just, it's, it's the air. You had to be there. You just, and no matter had what. To be there. <laughs> like, that's all that we could say is just, you had to be there just to witness it on how gnarly those guys were. And I mean, they were, they were out there racing each other like they're trying to go after a Loretta Lynn's title. You know what I'm saying? And it is to Sunday morning, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. And these guys are going wide open. You want to know what's funny? It's like, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, I feel like today, like this episode was a good combination with Mike and Taylor because you know how we were just talking about like how good the numbers are. Those were the times the numbers were so good because of those guys. Right. Because, you know, they, they everybody got to witness those guys race on an everyday weekend or, you know, on an every weekend, you know, and nowadays yeah. it's kind of not like that. And so it's kind of hard to get some people to come out because they're like, oh, you know, the person that I look up to doesn't come out. So why should I? Now, I don't know if that's exactly what they're saying. But at the same time, it almost kind of feels that way because I'm telling you, if, you know, we had some really, really good guys that would show up for the pro class, guarantee, even if I'm not announcing or whatever, I'm showing up, you know, and and uh, oh, yeah. And, and watching, you know, and, and there for just the support of everybody and. Man, it was a good conversation, especially with both guests, Heavy D. I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. But the last thing we have on our list, Heavy D, the professional side, the WSX, the World Supercross Championship, and, <laughs> and Abu Dhabi. It was uh, it was intense to say the least, uh, especially from the Vince Freeze situation. Uh, it's it's arena cross. It was, it was pretty much arena cross style. Uh, he even said it right there before when they were doing the introductions and you know letting the 
crowd hear them and what they have to say before the racing. I mean, he was already talking like he was kind of the super villain, and that's the way that they make it out to be. And he went, he went full super villain on on all of them. And uh, but he did get penalized for uh, the things that he did. So I think they they did right as far as that goes. But Joey Savacci comes out on top, and now he's the overall points leader heading into the final round in Melbourne and Anstey. Uh, got himself a win as well in that SX2 class, so he'll be the new points leader going into Melbourne. And I tell you what, it was a crazy night of racing, that's for sure. Or a crazy morning, I should say, because I woke up at 7 o'clock in the morning to watch it, and it was done by 10.30. Now, I mean, well, did they try to blame Roxon's crash on Vince Freeze? No. no. I, 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 oh, okay. No. No, nah, he went. He hit that triple, and when he hit that triple, he just went too far to the right, and they had like a little lip, um, from so the guys couldn't cut like super super inside on the start, and so they had like a little yeah. lip there, and I and I think his foot caught it. His foot caught it, and it kind of made him crash. So he was trying to go farther inside so that he could get the vents on that, you know, that final turn before the finish line jump. And I think he just cut it just a little bit too short, and he hit his foot. Uh, so no, it wasn't a it wasn't a bench freeze uh, situation. No, right, okay. I thought I seen like they were trying to say he did that, but I, I okay, I was wrong. I mean, I seen where like Savachi had his words, which I mean, I, I mean, I ain't trying to. I ain't even really a big Savachi fan. Like, I ain't gonna lie to you. Like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like. The thing is, it's like I, I I don't know if I missed anything, but it's like okay, it, it, like you feel the need to call somebody out, out, and okay, your conversation with them was over, and you getting like the good podium speech, but you feel the need to call them out. Yeah, I mean Dean did too. So I mean they they kind of. I mean all that was different. One. Yeah, that, that to, to me that was different because. Dean actually got he he got the smoke, like <laughs> so. I mean, he he got the smoke. It, it was a little different there, but yeah. Honestly, I feel like I mean I ain't got a problem with any of them. You know what I mean? I ain't a huge Zabaki fan, like that's just me. But at, at the end of the day, I look at it like this: it's like okay, like some of these dudes. I understand like social media has become a big platform for the sport and all, you know. But, like, I mean, come on. Yeah. I don't I, know. I, I guess mean, I just if, look at stuff different. From, like, if I were to put, I'll play devil at, devil's advocate here. If I were to punch somebody off the track and they went off the track and then they got right back in front of me and are doing the exact same thing that you just tried to do to last previous laps to get around them and you, you finally punted them off the track, but the guy still gets in front of you, I'd be a little upset, too. I'd be a little pissed off, too. Oh, no, no. I, I'm I'm not talking about that part. I was just talking about the whole Dean Wilson ordeal. Like, uh, that whole going off the track and pop back, yeah, no, nah, that's that's totally justifiable. I, I get that. Yeah. I'm just, I just felt like how, like, I'm just talking about how, like, Sabashi was kind of, like, on his case for what he did to Dean. Oh, 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 I got you. I got you. Yeah. That whole, yeah, like, no, that, no, ah. I totally agree with you on 100%. Like, yeah, that wasn't, like, the smartest thing to do. That was, like, that was full arena crash style stuff right there. Oh, for sure. 
Yeah, but it made for good racing. It made for, I mean, I was interested the whole time. The broadcast team had a little bit of problems. Uh, there was a little bit of confusion there, especially in that SX2 uh, race where we were watching 10th and 11th. Uh, and we didn't even get to see Anstey cross the finish line for the checkered flag. So I know that there was a lot of confusion right. for that. But overall, I mean, to be honest, it reminded me a lot of an arena cross. And it was kind of fun to watch some of those top guys actually race a little bit of an arena cross uh, style track. So I think it was good. I think a lot of people have uh, mixed opinions on it for sure. But Melbourne will be a lot better track, a lot wider. And um, I mean, as a OK, so. I heard like Justin Brayton's take on it. You know, he's taught you know, separate separate the cream from the crop. You know, let the cream rise to the top. And and I get that. And I understand WSA. They're, they're building, but at the same time, it's like I don't know. I think I look at stuff different because I feel like you know, and no matter what, like everybody's on the same track. It don't. I mean, I understand they're on a higher level, but. Okay, you're a professional for a reason because you can handle any kind of condition. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I understand they may not have wanted to ride that style of track, and it, it probably did suck. Yeah, I, I understand. But at the end of the day, it's like everybody, you, everybody's on the same thing, right? You know, and, and how I look at, I think it may for some interesting racing because, I mean, you think about it, like all the. Any other kind of like action sport? At the end of the day, NASCAR. Why? Why is NASCAR so big? Because you had guys like Dale Earnhardt, and they didn't give a, a shit about who they put in the wall, who they hit, where they was racing. They was gonna make it entertaining no matter what. Football. Why is it so big? It's a contact sport. You know, people people love that stuff. Like it's all. At the end of the day. It's a lot of contact and it's a lot of different variations of what makes it good. You know, yep. NASCAR, they, they race other than just circles. I mean, they go in different, you know, patterns or whatever you call it. I can't. Road course. They do road course. It's a different, it's a change of pace, but they do it. Right. You know, yep. at, the, at the end of the day, I mean, I think it, it shakes it up and it makes it a little interesting. I mean, it, it honestly, it showed how good Ken Roxon is. I mean, yeah. dude, it don't matter what he was on. He was going to the front regardless. No kidding. Yeah, he had a hell of a ride. And, I mean, even we got to give it to Dean, too. Dean put in three good motos other than, you know, getting getting taken out. But, dude, he was on it. <coughs> he was, he's was he been riding really good here recently. I think we got to give props to Dino, too. But, yeah, Roxon, I mean, able to come through the pack there, especially on that first uh, – on that first moto where he was all the way in the very back, uh, damn near last and had to come all the way through those guys. And yeah, man, I mean, I think, I think we got to give credit to both Kenny and Dean and, um, and all of that. Oh yeah. And, you know, got to give it out to Joey too. He was able to just stick it in there and was able to, you know, come away with the overall. And now he has the points lead going into the, into the last round. And same for the 250 class. Un unfortunate for McElrath. He just didn't have a good night. And those back row starts definitely didn't help. And it was really hard to pass uh, for sure. But I tell you what, man, it, I, I think, I think we're going to have a good, I think if they can figure out, the inner workings. Uh, I listened to the Adam Bailey um, interview that Steve had on his Racer X podcast uh, this morning, and they're trying to work out all the details and stuff. Some of that teams are happy, some of the teams are not. So they're just trying to, you know, 
they had the pilot season last year, and this year kind of almost seems like the uh, like another pilot season. But they're trying. They're trying to. They're trying to do something. They're trying to bring it to different parts of the world. That was the first time that they've ever had a motocross race or supercross race or anything dirt bike related in Abu Dhabi, and they went to a brand new stadium or a brand new arena that holds like NBA and um, you know football and all sorts of other activities that goes on in there and those people have probably never seen these guys race and you know Adam was saying as soon as they were going for the sight lap and they hit that triple I mean they said the whole crowd just went ballistic you know and you know that's just a sight lap you know so I think it's cool that we're that they're going to different countries that have never seen this style race and I hope next year they can get kind of a better schedule so that they can go to even more places because I think I think the guys, like I even talked to Luke Nice, you know, and he was saying that that place is awesome. Like, that's so cool that a guy from North Carolina that is on Club MX, you know, gets this opportunity to go and race these races in a completely different country and to check out, you know, the rest of the world. That's kind of what everybody kind of dreams of when they go racing is to do it as a job and also travel the world, you know? Oh, I, I agree hundred percent, you know, and that, that, that's all I mean, I'm saying. I mean, like I say, I could I could sit here and say like, you know, Savachi and them harping on event like crazy wasn't like good, but at the end of the day it was good entertainment. And what I like I say, you know, it, it's a building process, but I liked I mean from I think it was a different change of pace and those fans don't know. You know what I mean? Because that was they've never seen it, and that was the first time like for them there. I would just hate for like, you know, stuff like that that could help grow the series, influence, push it away. You know what I mean? Right. Like I don't think like Brayton, like you know, Brayton has a lot of influence. Ken Rocks has a lot of influence. Dean Wilson has a lot of influence, and you know, that's because of social media. You know, connections within the industry. I would hate because they don't like something. They push something that could potentially be good just because of fan base. At the end of the day, fan base is what keeps the industry going. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So and it, gets, and it gets more eyes on the sport. That's what we want, right? Exactly. So exactly. And I would hate just because they didn't like the track. All right, we don't want to go back here. Like this place sucks. Yeah. No, I think I think from what Adam was saying that they're well. Also, we didn't know behind the scenes that they were having a lot of problems with their bulldozers and their uh, excavators and things like that. And so when you go to these places and the equipment doesn't work what you think you're going to get, that kind of throws it into the loop. And I'm sure you can understand that from uh, as well. And they said that one of the loaders that they got literally looked like it came out of, you know, from you know, it's been sitting in the sun for 30 years, you know, so they had a, they had a <laughs> lot of problems. Yeah, they, they had a lot of problems with that. But they I mean, they had to build the whoops with a skid steer. So um, and, you know, they're normally done by loaders or, you know, something else. Right. So um, they had a lot of problems. Yeah, they, they do. Them. Go ahead. Oh, I'll just say they do. Them. They used to do them with dozers. Now they do them with wheel loaders. But yeah. I mean, it's. Regardless of the fact, it's it's hard as hell with a skitty, I can tell you that. Yeah, Shoot. no kidding. Shoot. Yeah, you definitely had to uh, – they definitely had their work cut out for them. But I, I think it's still a good thing. Uh, they have some things to work out, of course. But, you know, it's a brand-new series, and 
they had to bring in new investors and stuff like that. So there's even a lot more behind the scenes that a lot of people don't understand to even make that possible for us to watch, you know, Ken Roxon and Dean Wilson, Joey Savacci, Max Anstey, Luke Neese, Cole Thompson, all of these guys. I don't want to miss out on anybody, but all of those guys that, you know, we get to watch in the U.S. all the time, uh, those people over there have never seen those guys before. So um, you got to give it up to at least the crew uh, for putting it together and, and having a and having a good race. There's a lot of opinions on it, but I think it made for interesting, um, you know, racing and that sort of thing. So, um, but that was WSX Abu Dhabi. Uh, press release finally came out for Dylan Ferrandis with Phoenix Honda, uh, Phoenix Honda Racing and Factory Connection uh, for next year. And Vital MX and Michael Lindsay came out to MX421, the local. Jed Dry got his track out there uh, for everybody to see, so that was uh, that was pretty cool for the local area. And Phoenix does a lot of racing, or uh, Phoenix Racing does a lot of testing and a lot of uh, R and D and stuff down there at 421. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. But my HEP Suzuki was wrong. <laughs> it was uh, it was not right that he was going to Suzuki. But hey, it's all good, and he's going to be in this North Carolina area a little bit more. Heavy D. Oh yeah, I think, dude. I think that's so sick, man. Like, it's it's funny. Like, like, dang it, it boiled that. Like, trust me, not discrediting Phoenix Honda. They got like a bunch, a shit ton of bad dudes over there. I like that program. I think they're doing an awesome job over there. But it's crazy. Like, it boiled down to like him getting a deal with Phoenix Honda of all the other teams that are out there. You know. Yeah, that's what we've talked about, too. And I think he was just looking for comfortability. And, you know, he might have had to take a bite on the chin for it. But as we know, Supercross hasn't really gone his way. And, and he really wants to do well in Supercross. And he thinks that he can do it with the help of Ziggy and Factory Connection and um, the Phoenix Racing Honda team. So, um, you know, at least he's not retiring. At least he's still going to come back oh, and try. Exactly. So um, we still yeah. do have another, you know, heavy hitter uh, that's going to be there for Anaheim one. So that's at least a good thing. And um, another news that broke, an unfortunate news that broke, the voice of AMA Supercross and Pro Motocross back in the day, Art Ekman has passed away at 81 uh, this past Saturday. And um, man, what a what a legacy of race calling he left behind, Heavy D. I mean, a lot of the old races we go back and listen to, it had Art, uh, Art, you know, as the uh, as the voice commentator for sure in those '90s and early 2000 races. That's for sure. Oh yeah, that's that's tragic. But you know, left that legacy behind, so it definitely is not going to be forgotten. No, no, that that's for sure. A lot of the races that we'll go back to and listen, Art will definitely be uh, calling the race action for sure. And uh, his passion and his uh, excitement for the sport was like nobody else. And uh, yeah, prayers to his family and the people that are close to him for sure. As uh, uh, the unfortunate news broke that he has passed away. Um, but next up, we got Jason Lawrence, J-Law is back and he's going to be part of the Phoenix Racing Honda team for Arena Cross and other racing adventures for next year. Man, it's it's crazy what these last couple of years have brought. I mean, Dungey came out of retirement and now we got Jason Lawrence back. Uh, you know, it, it's pretty crazy. We got to talk to Taylor Futrell. I mean, what else is going to happen, you know? 
it's it's pretty wild. It's going to be pretty crazy to see Jason Lawrence out there in arena cross. That's going to be that's going to be wild. Oh, dude, that's dude. And what's funny is like that dude has so much natural talent. People, I mean, people bag on him and try to say, "Oh, he's the biggest waste of talent." But at the end of the day, I, I look at it like this: like as fans and people behind the scenes. Like you don't really know what goes on in other people's lives, you know what I mean? Right. Or or or, or what they deal with. At the at the end of the day, it's like, and you know, I know him. I've met him, and dude, he's a good ass dude. Excuse my friend. He's an awesome dude. Oh yeah. And loves dirt bikes. I mean, and the dude rips. I don't care. You can say whatever you want to about him. Like, I understand he was. You know, he raced with Dungey and and Stewart and Chad and all them. You know. He may not be like that retired, you know, multi-time. Well, I mean, he won championships, but you know, premier class multi-time champion. That everybody, you know, felt he should be. But at the end of the day, the dude's living life. He's he seems like he's in a good place. He's having fun. He's still doing good. At the end of the day, and he, you know, he's still around dirt bikes, and he's still J Law. I mean, I can respect that. At the end of the day. That's right. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome to see. We're going to have Jason Lawrence and Kyle Peters and Cody Shock and Dylan Ferrandis all in that all in this North Carolina area going to 421. Dude, it's going to be pretty crazy. <laughs> that's that's a stout, stout lineup right there. Right? That's going to be crazy. It's going to be good that I'm getting down to North Carolina because it seems like it is starting to be the pop in place. That's for sure. Uh, with, uh, Dude. Phoenix race. North Carolina's worse at, bro. I'm telling you, man. That's why my ass is moving down there. <laughs> <laughs> North Carolina's a spot. That's right. And like we always say, man, they produce some of the best motocross racers, and it's only going to get bigger, I think, from here, especially when we have a lot of these uh, top top guys uh, living in the area and being around and going to some of these local tracks to do their R&D and testing and, and getting their motos in and riding and stuff, I think it's going to be really good for the sport um, in the North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina area. I think it's going to be really, really good. And um, another thing, Beta released their 2024 450RX, and it is their first four-stroke motocross bike, of course, built by Beta. So um, they come at a, at a high price tag, but it is cool to see that, uh, that Beta is bringing their bike um, and it's going to be released, uh, here in the next couple of weeks and, um, months. So we're going to have the, some beta bikes out there at the, uh, at the local races and even the professional with Nick or, uh, Nichols and Benny Bloss. So that's going to be, uh, that's going to be really cool. We got, we got another bike coming into play. And the last thing that I had on here is, um, Mark Finnis. <coughs> He's going to Muckoff FXR Club MX Racing for next year. He's going to be doing Supercross Futures. He finished second last year behind Cochran, but he's going to go in this year. And I'm sure he, his uh, plan is to win. And then he will be making his full pro debut starting at Fox Raceway for the AMA Pro Motocross Championship next summer. He raced the last two outdoor nationals this past summer with a 24th at Bud's and a 23rd at Ironman. So, uh, Mark Finnis is going to be uh, making his pro debut, official pro debut, uh, next year after the Supercross Futures. So uh, Club MX has got another rider, and I'm sure that we'll get the news that their other rider that they have 
Chet Reynolds uh, will be uh, his official statement will be coming out here soon. So um, anything else on the professional side, Heavy D, that I might have missed? Dang, I didn't realize. Oh, I I think I heard something about that. Yeah. Been getting Jet. Yeah. And um, of course, I knew about the Mark Finnis thing. But um, shoot. Dude, other than that. I think it's been covered. It's been a heck of an episode, that's for sure. I tell you what, and well, that is it for this episode number 31 here on the Imperative MX podcast where we spoke about local motocross racing from the past weekends and upcoming races to look forward to. We spoke with AMA's Deputy Director of Racing, Mike Burkeen, about his background in the sport, Cobra Motorcycles, being the general manager down there at South of the Border, his role at AMA, local racing and what we can do to spike up the numbers a little bit and much more. And then we, of course, had Taylor Futrell call in about his career, what made him hang up the boots, his battle through addiction, south of the border as a trainer, his local memories, and much more from both of the guests tonight on this podcast. And we wrapped it up with some news on the professional side and so much more that we covered within this episode tonight. And big thanks again to the companies who all make this possible. West Virginia Motorsports, FXR, Dirt Industries Custom Graphics, Silver Valley MX Park, Hydropower, Mika Metals, Total Control Racing Suspension, and PR Motorsports. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Imperative MX Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Threads, TikTok, YouTube. Find our other episodes with awesome guests and more local scene podcasts on apple spotify and anywhere you get your podcast nowadays make sure to check out imperativemx.com when you can click on the sponsor logos you can go straight to the sponsor's website and of course post on the forums they're there for you guys to post and talk and from myself zach newberry and co-host heavy d we're out see you next week Peace. later